Yeah, Tyler, you could send some of those here if you wanted. Yeah, also Portlandia is real. Every Portlandia I bet, I bet sketch it is. scene I knew is it. real. I fucking knew it. It's 100% accurate. There's a sketch uh, where they go into a movie theater, and the movie theater is like purposely like done up to feel like like home. And those are like that's like a legit actual movie theater and like, good, <laughs> like good. we're in, going to that when I come up in the summer. That's where I saw Booksmart and I'm like, I'm gonna fall asleep. Oh my god, we were so literally bamboozled by that whole experience. It was so wild. I cannot wait for you to go to that theater. It's hilarious. Oh, I can't wait. Me and Tyler <laughs> need to break the streak of the only movie seeing together is the bad times at the El Royale. Yeah, holy shit. Well, we're trying to get like back to Reno for a few weeks in the summer, but well, I you definitely guys know, see you, you guys know if like something happens and you don't have a place to stay, you guys can always hang at our place. We have an extra bedroom. So yeah, you guys are more than welcome. Plus it gives us an excuse to really clean the shit out of the house, which we both love to do. Oh my god, I know, right? Yeah, and you can bring Ash. He can hang out with Lily. Oh, cute. Doggy date. Yeah. Yeah, that way you can get a music like, cat and you can get a cat. You and Brielle need to come up here. Oh, we are. We're coming up oh. this summer for like her, for like hanging out with her dad. But I've told Brielle, I'm like, if we're going up there, we're going to make a stop and see Naomi and Tyler. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Um, yeah. Tyler has so many, like, obviously he wants to take you to the video store. Oh, and I can't wait. We're going to spend four store. hours in there. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, the video store is cool. Tyler, I think what you and I are going to do is we're going to go in there and I'm just going to have my phone. We're just going to record a really raw one. No, you could. We could. There's lots of, like, movie memorabilia in there, too. So that's a lot for you guys to talk about. Yeah, it's just, yeah. (laughs) I appreciate you letting me borrow him for, like, three hours a week. Oh, yeah, no worries. I get my Naomi time. I'm going to go actually watch some... YouTube videos about ARGs for like three hours yeah. um, and be scared. We found that we both love watching like ARG recaps from like the what is ARG? ARG alternate reality games. Oh, I don't know any of these. So it's things. like extreme viral marketing. So it's like you you fill out a form for like a game and oh. then like people send you text messages like help me find the killer. Yeah, I can explain <laughs> oh. to you. Oh, oh it's like it's like hunt a killer. Yeah. Remember Cloverfield? Yeah, I remember Cloverfield. Like the marketing around Cloverfield? Yeah, I remember that, it. That's it. That's an energy. Okay. And my last question before she goes, Naomi, what is the first one going to be on your romantic comedy podcast? What, and what is the name? So it's actually, I'm pivoting from like strictly rom-coms to teen movies. So mm. we're calling it Not Another Teen Podcast. Um, oh, that's good. Oh. Thank you. And uh, we have a MIDI file of Teenage Dirtbag by Weedus as our theme song. There you go. And has anyone claimed anything yet? I think my friend Dom has claimed 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, I'm still, like, figuring out what other people would like to claim, but I'm thinking Tyler and I's first episode together might be, what do you think, like, Juno? Like, something we've both seen from our teenhood. Are you going to lay into that, Tyler? I like Juno. Okay, interesting. Yeah, we we actually both like it a lot more than we thought we did. Yeah. Remember how Tiger Woods' wife reacted to him when he cheated? Yeah. That's how I'd like to react to Juno now, looking at it, like, years later. Beating his I'm, car with a, with a nine iron? Oh, she got him, too. Oh, she got oh, him, oh, yeah, too. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, no. Juno's not getting away scot-free with its car Wait, dinged up. I'm, I'm going to catch Juno at least in the forehead. You and my friend Heather have a lot to talk about. You hate Juno for very different reasons. My friend Heather's a lesbian, and she cannot stand Ellen Page. She oh, has she sucks. A, oh, she sucks. She has a... 
imaginary rivalry with Ellen Page, literally. Oh, oh, just let me ask you something. Does she need a valet? Because I would love to be her valet. <laughs> I would love to be the person who talks her up while she just poses behind me, waiting to kick the shit out of Ellen Page's ass. See, like, interestingly enough, Heather, my friend who I'm talking about, she works at Reno Tahoe Limo. Oh, interesting. So, like, kind of <laughs> arranges well, it, it sounds like It sounds like this Jamie Foxx needs her uh, Tom Cruise to come along and give her the push she needs to, to set up her own limo company. Listen, yeah. she'd probably enjoy the company. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure she would. Well, then, if that's everyone that's talked, I would like to say I want Mean Girls. Okay. I think I can bring a really interesting perspective from it. <laughs> if, no, I, I really do. I really think I can. That is, I think, arguably one of the best written comedies of like the last two decades. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. No. It's it's remarkably one of the smartest movies, and it's also like one of the most like weirdly interestingly casted movies. And also, I think that it's like it's so fucking smart, but it's covertly smart. Mm. Yeah. It's like coating a bunch of broccoli and sugar. You know what yeah. I mean? You're like, fuck, I just ate broccoli. That was delicious. Yeah. Oh, but all that sugar was so distracting. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Well, it was so nice talking to you. Yeah, I know. Say hi to Brielle for me. I miss her. Shoot. She's watching cooking shows right now in bed. Shoot her a text. She is awake. Oh, I will. <laughs> yeah. Did he make you did he make you watch Atlantics? No. Okay, good for you. Hi. Yeah. Hey. We'll go into the you music came from there. In Atlantics when I described what it was about. I don't know if I did. Also, High Life. Fuck that movie. Oh, fuck that movie. I went into it like oh, not good. really realizing, and I got hella triggered and was like dissociating the whole rest you of wanna, the movie. You want to do, do the, the High Life podcast where we break down each minute of why it sucks one at a time? And yeah, that's the I show. Of High Life. Um, oh, did you see Dark Waters? Tyler took me to see Dark Waters. Yeah, finally, I, really, I enjoyed Dark Waters. I made oh, him watch so Dark Waters. Good. I was like, we well, should do an episode on Dark Waters. I, it was produced by the only environmentalist more staunch than Tyler. Hey. And his name is Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> she won't let me live down the fact that I... You are, you are, like, you are like the Mark Ruffalo of podcasting. I think You're so just too. trying to make good. Anytime I play a character after doing like a weird body tick... Oh, yeah, Mark Ruffalo does do That's that. That's the thing I've noticed recently. That's Stanislavski. Yeah. He's leading with the body to get the character. Yeah, yeah. He does, like, because, like, in Dark Waters, he does this thing with his hands, and he's just, like, kind of hunched. And in uh, Zodiac, he's, like, really rigid and, like, straight. Oh, I never noticed. It's very, if you, every Mark Ruffalo performance, he's doing That's something that. with his hands or, like, with his body. He's That's doing something That's that different. new Stanislavski, the good, the good Stanislavski. The good, good. Not the shit that they turned into method and made bad. <laughs> Like sending people condoms full of poop. Yeah, yeah that's I right, have Jared. acting yeah. opinions. Yeah. <laughs> your 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 day is coming, Jared Leto. It happens on the 9th of February when you are the only modern Joker to not win an Oscar for that performance. Oh, I can't wait. It's the <sighs> only reason I want Joaquin to win. He's like doing fine though. Like he has like his cult. Like he's not even on this like plane of existence anymore. Don't don't care. Don't care. That'll drive <laughs> him up a wall. That'll drive his ass up a wall. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's an egomaniac with a cult. I'm sure it'll myth him just a little. <laughs> yeah, Tyler, I don't know how much of this is being left in the opening. I really don't. Uh, I hope not all of it because it's been 14 minutes. That'd be a long opening. Okay, yeah. um, I'm gonna close this opening by leaving the room. So good to hear from you though, Ben. <laughs> yes, guys, look for Naomi on Not Another Teen Podcast coming soon. Yeah. Oh, also, if you live in the Portland area, come check me out at Kickstand Comedy. <laughs> I was, I was so, I was so tempted for to end that with on the white guys network and just have you be like wait what and just like go to music <laughs> from there. Oh shit. <laughs>
<laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're producing it. So like, yeah. Well, have fun, my dear. Enjoy your ARG thing. Scott, it sounds well, like I a gun. Will. Sounds like you're just watching gun off. videos. Yeah. No. It's, oh, no. absolutely not. Although those, there, there are those Russian gun videos that are weird. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> Tyler just comes in, you're watching the video from Jackie Brown, and you're like, what are you watching? She's like, nothing. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, at about 10.49 on a Wednesday, to the number one spot of 2019. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I am, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. Yes, it's it's late on a Wednesday, guys. We did the second half because we wanted to make sure it gets out on time for you guys. No real formalities, nothing to talk about. If anything got left in from that opening segment, they've they've gotten enough of an intro. <laughs> Oh, how's how's your week going? I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted too. It's it's this is gonna be a sleepy cast. Why don't you give us your ten to six again? I almost started reading your list. That's how tired I am. From ten to six. At ten, I have High Life. At nine, I have Her Smell. At eight, I have Pain and Glory. At seven, I have Atlantics. And at six, I have Transit. And for myself, at number ten, I have The Farewell. Number nine, I have Under the Silver Lake. Number eight, I have The Nightingale. Number seven, I have Us. And number six, I have Booksmart. So that takes us on to my number five. A look at a couple nearing the end of their journey and just at the precipice of a new stage. Two amazing performances from Scarlett Johansson and what should be an Oscar-winning turn from Adam Driver. Filmmaker Noah Baumbach crafts an excellent look at a subject that many face in today's modern age. This is Marriage Story. What I love about Charlie, Charlie is undaunted. He never lets other people's opinions or any setbacks keep him from what he wants to do. Charlie eats like he's trying to get it over with and like there won't be enough food for everyone. A sandwich is to be strangled while devoured. But he's incredibly neat, and I rely on him to keep things in order. He's energy conscious. Sorry. He doesn't look in the mirror too often. I cry four times. Me too. He cries easily in movies. I wonder if it was the same for. He's very self-sufficient. He can darn a sock and cook himself dinner and iron a shirt. What are we doing over here? The peppers are cut. He rarely gets defeated, which I feel like I always do. Charlie takes all of my moods steadily. He doesn't give in to them or make me feel bad about them. He's a great dresser. He never looks embarrassing, which is hard for a man. He's very competitive. Oh, come on! What's this? Who owns Baltic Avenue? Me. How much is it? I don't have enough. $250. Okay, so I'm done? I'm done, right? That's it. This is so frustrating! He loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, dad. like the tantrums, the waking up at night. I had a bad dream. It's okay. 
almost annoying how much he likes it, but then it's mostly nice. Dad, stay. He disappears into his own world. He and Henry are alike in that way. He can tell people when they have food in their teeth or on their face in a way that doesn't make them feel bad. Perfect. Charlie is self-made. His parents, I only met them once, but he told me there was a lot of alcohol and some violence in his childhood. As soon as she comes in the lookout, they come in on the camcorder. He moved to New York from Indiana with no safety net, and now he's more a New Yorker than any New Yorker. Make sure they use the right almond milk. He's brilliant at creating family out of whoever is around. With the theater company, he cast a spell that made everyone feel included. No one, not even an intern, was unimportant. He could remember all the inside jokes. Where do you go when it's windy? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> He's extremely organized and thorough. He's very clear about what he wants, unlike me, who can't always tell. This is a weird movie because it's one that didn't get, like, a wider... Well, it got a wide release, but it didn't get, like, a theatrical release. As much as it maybe could have or should have. I'm guessing yeah. you didn't have a chance to see it in theaters. No, I did not, unfortunately. I saw this at home. Fun story, this movie opened up, and the first time you see Adam Driver, my wife is sitting on the couch behind me, so slightly above me, and all I just hear is, oh, he's so tall. And I'm just like, that's real nice. That's real nice for the five foot, like, six guy, five foot seven guy to hear. That's, that's real nice. <laughs> <laughs> swear to god it was oh, just like was it was, laugh. i mean like yeah it was yeah yeah um but yeah oh my god it was just oh i was so irked yeah no i, I would be too he and, is and, and he is he is so the main people in this movie who uh, out of scarlett johansson yeah. adam driver are two parents of a shitty little kid named henry there i said it that kid almost ruins this movie. I am going to fully say that right now. You know who doesn't suck in this movie? Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. You're right, but also that cat at that lawyer's office. That cat at that lawyer's office rules. You know who else rules in this movie? Wallace Shaw. Wallace Shaw does rule. That dude's just getting his dick sucked left and right from what I can understand. Wallace Shaw in every movie, I'm like, yeah, more Wallace Shaw. Yeah, less of everyone else, please. Hey, Scarlett, why don't you take a break and let Wallace Shaw try something? Andre, get the fuck out of here. It's just me and Shaw. Wait, I don't think Wallace Shaw. Watch Wallace is Shaw Wallace Shaw eat... who we're thinking of? In My Dinner with Andre? Oh, okay, that is him. Okay. Yeah. I, I I always think of, who's the guy from Jaws who plays the captain? Robert, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah, that's why I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah. I was like, is that who it is? Is that the guy from Jaws? All right. Oh, man. So Robert Shaw might dinner with Andre. It'd be weird. I mean, also, if we're if we're saying who's good in this movie, uh, Laura fucking Dern is great in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. No, she's like great. if if I'm if I could hand out an award for each of the top five, this would be the your name with the word fucking in it because this is movie like this movie has a scene from Laura Dern, Laura fucking Dern, who like absolutely destroys like she's gonna win best supporting actress this year like i have no doubt in my mind this movie also has a scene from ray fucking leota <laughs> if we start at a plate of reasonable and they start at a place of crazy somewhere in the end we will be between reasonable and crazy they're both such bastards oh it's great but like laura dern is that much more of a bastard that's why she gets like the bigger part i think the thing is is like lord <sighs> The, movie, the whole movie is about how, like, bureaucracy kind of sucks. Not kind of sucks, but bureaucracy is awful and makes people mean to one another. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about who's in it. What's it about is it's about a couple played by Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson who are getting a divorce. Let me ask you this. What would you pair this with? Well, the squid and the whale is an obvious choice. Um, and you That's also have Kramer true. Yeah. yeah, you also have Kramer versus Kramer, which is another. That's what that's what I was thinking. This is what this reminds me of most of all is Kramer versus Kramer. I think Kramer. I think this is kind of like an update in Kramer versus Kramer, and also makes both parties more sympathetic. Whereas I think I Kramer versus Kramer and I is my dog and I is think wild. It's fine. Sorry, and it, and it's more fair, honestly. Yeah, I think so too. I think Kramer versus Kramer really does not like Meryl Streep's character as much as this movie likes Scarlett Johansson's character. Oh, Meryl Streep's character is a goddamn bitch in that movie. Like, you're like, you left. Like, you fucking left. Both of these parents are present. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. Um, is, I think I think if Kramer vs. Kramer was made now, it, it would be, they would face some backlash for its portrayal. Oh, ab- oh, absolutely. The portrayal of Meryl Streep is not fair in that movie. I'm not saying... I'm saying they portray her as a bitch. She's not necessarily a bitch. That's how she's portrayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, you, did you get to see this in theaters? I could have. I just didn't ah, want to. I was just like, yeah, we'd have to drive downtown and find parking. And it's oh, late. You lazy, you lazy little asshole. Anything, yeah. so, anytime something comes from Netflix to a big screen, you should see it. Because later on, when people say like, oh, The Irishman on Netflix, I'd love to see that on a big screen. You'd be like, I've seen that on a big screen. You, you need to be able to say that. You need to be able to tell people what it was like to see it like the way it's supposed to be seen. I don't know. This movie doesn't feel like it's meant to be seen on a big screen. Like, this movie doesn't seem like it's losing anything to be seen oh, at home. It's, oh, it's an intimate little drama, but you still want to be able to hear the reaction of the audience, like, during the fight. You want to be able to experience the way they, like, the tone of, like, the audience and how people shift in their seats, like, when the letters are read. You need to be able to do that. Like, you I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. But I was just like, also like, oh, I, gotta go I, I maintain this is how movies need to be seen. Every movie, if you can, should be seen in a theater. If you really want to see something, that's the best place to see it. You know what definitely shouldn't be seen in a theater? What's that? Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, I probably wouldn't want to see that. I don't want to see that at all. I've never uh, yeah. seen it. I maintain oh. I might leave this world not seeing that movie. You know what? That's probably a wise choice. Yeah. Unless I pick um, up the podcast. You son of a bitch. But what is your favorite scene? Well, this is your movie, so what is your favorite scene? The fight is absolutely incredible, followed very closely by Laura Dern's seduction act of getting Scarlett Johansson to keep her, take her as a lawyer. My favorite is when, I think, when Scarlett Johansson, like, cries in Laura Dern's office. And, like, yeah, you kind of realize that this is, like, about. yeah. I think that's the scene where you kind of realize that this is the first time 
Scarlett Johansson feels like she has to take control of her own life. Yeah, that's fair. I yeah. mean, it's a very and it's very pro her movie. I watched it from her perspective this time because I immediately, of course, watched it from the Adam Driver perspective the first time. But I really watched all of her scenes carefully. She goes through some stuff. I I maintain there's a case to be made. She should win Best Actress this year for this, not Jojo Rabbit. Do not fuck around with that shit. Give it to Laura Dern. Make it two for fucking Marriage Story in the acting category. I don't know what I want for that best. I want Joker she, to win just so he fucks out. If ScarJo and Laura Dern win, then how yep. does he not get nominated for Best Director? He doesn't get nominated for Best Director. He just couldn't. It's it's way too stacked of a year. It's if just they one did of those ten, where it's where it's yeah, there because was, there directors were, vote for director, and out, uh, actors vote for actor, and there's not like a real overlay in the body. That that's how that happens. Scorsese, Sam. Me- I mean, yeah, cut, I'm sorry. There's two of them, things. I know. Well, you can cut Todd Phillips, too. Yeah. Oh, God, I think 1917 has it. Do you think 1917 has both director and picture? I, I have a really bad feeling. Yeah, um, I'm listening to this podcast, and these guys really, like, pitched it in a way that made a lot of sense. It's a movie for the olds. And, 16 out ways. of the last 17 DGA winners and producer winners have gone on to win Best Picture and Director. It's like, I don't like that. And it also has, like, the Globes win. Yeah, someone said a... they might have run the smartest race by letting it out so late. Which makes sense. I still think it'll win Best Director and Once Upon a Time will win, win the Oscar. Win I hope you're picture. right. I hope you're right. Do you like the mediation with, when, uh, is it Alan Alda? Yeah. I get him and Alan Arkin confused. Never seen him in the same place. Interesting. You never seen him in the same place. Uh, except, were they on MASH together? Oh, shit, they might have been. They were on MASH <laughs> together. Pretty sure. God damn it. Whole <laughs> thing fell apart. One of the longest running TV shows. Is <laughs> when they're at the. Boy, that was just a riddled, a riddled theory we had there. It's like, that thing is not even going to hold water. <laughs> like, I immediately poked a hole in that. Yeah. Were they um, on MASH together? Uh, yeah, when Alan Alda does the is doing the mediation, and then Adam Driver's like, "What the fuck are you doing? Like, you're bad at this." <laughs> I love how he he tells him the joke. He goes, "Bert, am I paying for this joke?" <laughs> That's good. So, what, is it a minute and a half? Is that what we said? Uh, yes, a minute and a half, minute and a half. All right, and three, two, one, go. Marriage Story is a movie about the way we kind of just end things. And I like a movie about an ending. And I think this movie does it really well. I think Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver are both absolutely brilliant in this. I think they both give just really, like, sad, understated performances. I think this is maybe Scarlett Johansson's best work. Adam Driver, I'm not willing to say that yet. I think we have a lot more from him. Noah Baumbach as a filmmaker is very interesting. He's kind of like the modern-day Woody Allen, but he writes things from both perspectives. He does modern takes on things. And he's got really, like, kind of four movies in his belt, but he's got, like, really good at those four movies. And I know that's a person we don't want to compare him to, but it's kind of true. Like, that's a thing that I've noticed. And, yeah, Marriage Story. It deserves to be on this list. It's a great movie. It's probably going to win a couple Oscars this year. Dern for Best Supporting Actress. Go. So let's move us on to your number five. My number five is a movie that I feel like I had to wrangle Ben into seeing for a mini episode. It was directed by Todd Haynes. It's a legal thriller, which is my favorite type of thrillers. It, of course, stars Mark Ruffalo and Hathaway, Tim Robbins and Bill Camp, and that is Dark Waters. 
Raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? I do. Uh, please state your name. Charles O. Holliday, Jr. And are you presently employed? Yes. What is your position? I'm the chairman and chief executive officer of the DuPont Company. In DuPont's most recent filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, you state, quote, based on over 50 years of industry experience and extensive scientific study, DuPont believes there is no evidence that PFOA causes any adverse human health effects or harms the environment. You signed that legal filing, correct? I don't recall the exact statement, but that sounds right to me. Are you aware that DuPont has in its own files studies dating back to the 1970s that say just the opposite? That PFOA, or C8 as it's called, has potentially life-threatening effects on human health? I'm not familiar with the exact studies we may have in our files. Then I'll take you through them. Uh, exhibit 9. Uh, you, you were just handed Exhibit 9. Uh, you see the date, March 13, 1979? Yes. You see the DuPont logo at the top? Yes. Do you see this word here highlighted? Yes. Would you read it for me, please? Receptors. Do you know what that word refers to, receptors? Um, in this context, I do not. It means human beings. DuPont refers to the men and women that your company exposed to C8 as receptors. Mm -hmm. And in these receptors, your scientists found, quote, significantly higher incidence of allergic, endocrine, and metabolic disorders, end quote, as well as, quote, excess risk of developing liver disease. Do you see that? Yes. Moral, you have infertility at Teflon, occurrences of leukemia. You have excess of cancers, bladder, kidney, oral, pharynx. Next paragraph. 78. You see that heading? You see that date? You see that? Exhibit 96. Exhibit 53. I'd like to move on to birth defects. We've gone on seven hours. Mr. Holliday, you're aware that in 1981, 3M notified DuPont that it had conducted studies on rats, and these studies showed that sustained C8 exposure can cause facial deformities? I'm not aware of a study by 3M. How about DuPont's own studies that showed the same thing in humans? That's DuPont's pregnancy study from 1981. Does that look like a DuPont document? It looks to, to be. Are you aware that DuPont has denied that any such study ever even took place? I'm not familiar with specific statements we've made about that. Seven Pregnant women, all DuPont employees, all from the Teflon line. Do you see this here? Quote, child, four months, one nostril, eye defect, end quote. Yes. Two of the seven women, nearly 30%, gave birth to babies that have the exact facial deformities that your company already knew We're about. We're done here. Sir? His parents named him Bucky. Bucky Bailey. This is your receptor.
Now we're done. Hey, you're aware that the movie Safe is on the Criterion Collection, right? Yeah. Do you own it? No, but I, I, I've, I've seen it. I've been meaning yeah. to own it. I've this never is, heard... have... You've never seen Safe? No, I know. I know, right? It yeah. pairs so perfectly with Dark Waters. They're, they're, they're kind of, they mirror one another. Oh, interesting. Very good movie, Safe. Julianne Moore. Yeah, I know. I'm, I know. I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, this is an interesting cover. Um, maybe, maybe it's the movie that finally breaks me through to get to understand his ass. You would actually think like Safe. If there's any movie of his that you would really like, it's probably Safe. I like Julianne Moore, man. She's good. Or the other one, the other Julianne Moore movie. He has two which of them. Which one? Far oh, Far from Heaven. I've never seen that either. You might like Far from Heaven. I. It's that's what I've a, heard. It's like more of a it, drama. It, well, it's that big. It's that big period piece shit, or like that big like, what do you call it? Uh, is it period piece technically? Technically, yeah. I think it takes yeah. place in like the fifties. Fifties. Yeah. Fifties. Yeah. It's it has very... Dennis Quaid in it, right? Yes. Yeah, it's that's a, a problem. It's, it's melodrama. Yeah. Um, which you do weirdly like. <laughs> I know, isn't it weird the things I'm into? I wouldn't expect it, but yeah, you would love Douglas Sirk. I would love to do a Douglas Sirk episode when we do like Written on the Wind and All That Heaven Allows. Hmm. Magnificent um, Obsession. I feel like somewhere in a Hollywood office somewhere they were like, well, we really need to get this script across the table. Bring him in. And Hang Lean struts in. He's got his little sunglasses on. He's wearing like a full piece, one jumpsuit. And they're like, you sure that's not Kim Jong-un? And I go, no, that's Ang Lee. Don't worry. We, we got the right guy. And he comes in and they say, well, what do you think, Ang? How do we pitch this? He goes, what if... Zodiac, but serial killer was corporations, and it just took a long time. And they're like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "That's your thing." And that's kind of what this movie feels like to me, Tyler. It feels like the longest version of Zodiac, like, but only about like corporate companies killing people. Yeah, that's that's it's extremely my shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a reason you're into this movie. Who's in this, and who's involved? It stars Mark Ruffalo. As Robert Dolot and Hathaway as his wife, Tim Robbins as his boss, Bill Camp as a farmer who is just so unlucky, and has a small scene where Bill Pullman shows up and is very funny. Bill Pullman is doing the Baldwin for this movie. I will oh, give him that. He kills it in his like three scenes. Oh, he's great. The scene where he's just like he's like calling her out of order for like for like all the stuff she's trying to pull. Yeah, it's, or the scene when, like, they first introduce him, and he's just this, like, country, like, he's a country lawyer who does, like, class action stuff. And his, oh, it's wonderful. his every dialogue, his accent, I'm just like, oh, I fucking love this guy. And, and he's only in the movie for, like, maybe five minutes. Oh, he's great. But you know who else is in the movie for five minutes? Bill Camp. Oh. <sighs> Bill Camp's amazing in this movie as the guy who comes to him with the with the thing. So give us like the simple plot of this movie. Okay, well, the simple plot is there's a company, a real company called DuPont, and in West Virginia they were knowingly dumping this chemical, which was an offshoot of polyurethane triacetate. It was essentially this chemical where they put a bunch of carbon chemicals together to create 
stuff that uh, is like unbreakable, like Teflon. But by creating that, it also created a thing that like once ingested by humans or by like literally any living thing caused the cells to break down and basically gave you a rapid cancer. It was a known carcinogen and DuPont knew about it. They lied to everybody about it and tried to cover it up. And essentially the movie is Mark Ruffalo's character, Robert Bullock, slowly unfolding this mystery in one of the just fucking saddest, most tragic ways possible. It's a real bummer of a movie that'll make you want to throw away all of your Teflon pans. Make you want to throw away your floors. (laughs) It just makes you feel unsafe. When and where did you see this? I saw this in a movie theater called Fox Tower. It's a real weird movie theater to see something in because the screens are very big, but the rooms are like pretty small, especially when it's something like Dark Waters, uh, which is playing in a... I think I saw it in the same theater. I saw the Souvenir in. So there was like four rows of like 12 seats, maybe. So it's like this Mm. kind of odd auditorium and the only good seats are all in the back and people are kind of like shuffling and you can kind of hear everybody <laughs> really well interesting it's okay. like a bad it's like the worst movie theater but it was like one of the only ones that was playing it like super early and i saw it with nothing but old couples and then i went again uh took took my girlfriend naomi with me we went to this place called the academy which is like this super old movie theater it was built in like the 20s i think and again just wall-to-wall old people so it's getting to people it's there is an audience for it it just happens to be people who are like 50 and above and me hmm. interesting tell us about todd haynes i know you like this guy uh todd, he haynes, directed, he just, <laughs> todd haynes in my opinion is a great director part of the new queer cinema movement of the 90s movies like poison and safe and velvet goldmine he would become known for his movie I'm Not There, which is like a Bob Dylan biopic, and Carol, uh, which is a very beloved movie. This is his eighth movie. It's strange because I feel like he's a director that people really like but hasn't really broken into the like mainstream. He still feels kind of on the fringes of, of cinema, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I think this proves that he's a just a dynamite director because everyone in this movie is giving a great performance. Yeah, no, he's. I mean, everyone is really killing it in this. I will give you that. This is a very like well-made movie. It's just very long. It's, like guys, not... guys, when you when you sit down to watch this, it's not long in the sense of like length. It's long in the sense of the way they make you feel. But that's a necessary to do. Because this feels like the amount of time it took to get this case to be where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't disagree with why they do it. It's just you feel that length as a person. It really does dole it out pretty slowly. But this is also a movie that's that, that the, the early, like the opening takes place in like, like not the opening opening, which takes place in the 70s. But like the, the movie starts in like 1998. <laughs> And mm-hmm. then it eventually ends in, like, 2016. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this movie like, takes for... <laughs> it spans two decades. So, like, the movie really can't move at, like, this breakneck pace. It kind of has to be a little bit more intentional. But I think it works for this type of movie. What is your favorite scene? I think... Oh, there's a f- bunch. My favorite is uh, the Ichiban scene, where, like, he gets the text, and it's, like, DuPont's reneg- reneging. And... 
he's like they don't fight for us we we protect us like it's 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 not them it's us like i love that scene mm-hmm. i love when bill camp tells them like what make the world know when he's at the like thing and he's like all sad and decrepit mm-hmm. um, dying dying yeah i just nah, man i don't know there's a ton of scenes watching it a second time i was like man every scene's just hot fire the scene where William Jackson Harper is like, this is what we do. Like, and like Tim Robbins reads in the riot act. That might be my favorite scene. Oh, that's a good scene too. I think yeah. if this movie had come out in the, like if somehow this movie had just been plopped straight in the nineties. Oh, Bill we'd Camp, never stop talking about this. Yeah. It would have made $50 million and Bill camp would have, or would have probably made a hundred million dollars and Bill camp would have been a fucking in the, Best Supporting Actor nomination and probably won it. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It's just a shame that this movie came out at a year where like there were a lot of good things that came out. It's just also it's kind of anachronistic to like movies nowadays. It just doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like what where movies are. Like it feels like a throwback to like the '90s legal drama, and I think in many cases that's probably why I like it so much. I get you. Well, I'm gonna put a minute and a half on the board. And I'm going to give you a minute and a half to tell us why Dark Waters is worth swimming in in three, two, one, go. There's a small moment in Dark Waters where at a courthouse, Mark Ruffalo drinks water from a water fountain and Bill Camp tells him not to drink that. And they have this like kind of heart to heart and Bill Camp is in a wheelchair. He's got cancer. It's not going great. And they share this moment of recognition where it was like, I'm sorry, we couldn't do anything to help you and your family more and he's just like it just exposed them because he goes he goes from wanting to have them all jailed to just like knowing that that's not a possibility and having to accept the fact that the only outcome that he can possibly get out of this is having people know that this happened and it is truly one of the most heartbreaking moments in the entire film and then it is immediately followed by what you think is going to be a devastating loss that turns into like a minor victory movie is full of moments like this and i think that's why it is important to watch not just because it's important politically but also because i think it is just an important unsung gem and yeah you should watch those that's my time well it takes us on to my number four Filmmaker Greta Gerwig adapts the famous novel in a spectacular turn. An all-star cast led by Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, and Eliza Scanlon as the titular characters makes this one of the best films of 2019. Truly an example of what great material can do when it meets great filmmaking. This is Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Hello, Annie. I don't want to see you. Amy, don't be mad at me. I'm sorry for how I behaved. Have you been drinking again? Why are you being so hard on me? It's 4 p.m. Well, someone yes, has thought... to do it. When do you begin your great work of art, Raffaella? Never. Never? What? Why? I'm a failure. Joe is in New York being a writer, and I'm a failure. That's quite a statement to make at 20. Well, Rome took all the vanity out of me, and Paris made me realize I'd never be a genius, so I'm giving up all my foolish artistic hopes. Why should you give up, Amy? You have so much talent Talent and, and isn't genius, and no amount of energy can make it so. I want to be great or nothing, and I will not be some commonplace dauber, and I don't intend to try anymore. What women are allowed into the club of geniuses, anyway? The Brontes? Hmm. That's it? 
Yes, I think so. And who will we declare as genius? Men, I suppose. The cutting down the competition. <laughs> That's a very complicated argument to make me feel better. Do you though? Do you feel better? I do think, male or female, I am of middling talent. Middling talent. May I ask your last portrait be of me? <laughs> all right. Now that you've given up all your foolish artistic hopes, mm -hmm. what are you going to do with your life? <sighs> Polish up all my other talents and become an ornament to society. Mm, that's where Fred Vaughn comes in, I suppose. Don't make fun. I said his name. You're not engaged, I hope. No. But you will be if he goes down properly on one knee. Most likely, yes. He's rich, richer than you, even. I understand queens of society can't get on without money, although it does sound odd from the mouth of one of your mother's girls. I've always known I would marry rich. Why should I be ashamed of that? There's nothing to be ashamed of, as long as you love him. Well, I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. Well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is may not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. Oh, that's Fred. Can you unbutton me, please? Thank you. How do I look? Do I look all right? You look beautiful. You are beautiful. I think if there's two jokes we've beaten to death this year, it's respect and little women. <laughs> Those two should definitely be put up in the rafters and retired. For at least for a little oh, yeah. bit. The jersey is just Mo reading Little Women. The other jersey is just the respect guy. This is the guy hitting the wall. Yeah, no, Little Women. This is, yeah, this is this is a special one. <laughs> I really like Little Women. Saw it at the same movie theater I saw Dark Waters at. And it was sold out. Yeah, it fucking should be. Ours was sold out. I, I swear to God, Brielle came in right as the Sony credit was coming up. And I was like, wow, you have not missed a thing. Like, I'll say this, this was a movie of good timing. Like, everything worked out. It was nice and, like, everyone was in there. Everyone was respectful. We were with, like, we were with, like, old women and, like, women who wanted to see it. We saw it with the perfect audience. They laughed at the right times. They all, like, got excited at the right times. Could not have been more perfect. You're right. It was a picture of perfect timing. We went downtown. We didn't drive. We took the train, or the max. People make fun of me for calling it a train, even though it's a train. We took the Max downtown. We were worried because, like, we had we had gotten dinner, 
And then we were going to go see Little Women afterwards, and we were worried that we would miss the train back. Because, like, if we miss that train back, then it's like, how the fuck do we get home? We get out, and we walk, and then, like, we, like, land on the platform, and the train, like, shows up. And I was like, oh, wow. We got out at, like, the perfect time. (laughs) Ah, you're not wrong. We saw it in the morning, and I think we went afterwards to, like, hang out with some people. But, my God, it was just, it worked. Like, this movie just works. I'll tell you this, dude, I was cutting a clip for this movie the other night. I ended up watching, like, 40 minutes of it. Yeah, I think my grievance of not liking it's, like, cross-cutting has, like, I've kind of, like, flipped on it. I do like it, I think. The more I think about it, I'm like, actually, no, it, it makes the impact of certain scenes make more sense. And it also gives Amy more depth as a character. Oh, my um, God. I mean, we're going to we're gonna be talking soon about Florence Pugh in another movie. But once again, I'll tell you this. If there is someone who is going to be like the Daniel Bryan to Laura Dern's Batista and Randy Orton, I think she might be that person in this category. I have, she's, number, she's number two in my eyes. I mean, I th- it would be a moment for the Oscars to, like, crown a champion, like, to crown, like, the next female star like because that's obviously what's happening this year i mean Um, she's had a hell of a year it's a very good year for two movies that were both in our bottom bottom five (laughs) for different reasons and a movie that we can both agree on is like one of the best of the year and also just i don't know her performance in little women you're just like that person's a fucking like that person's a celebrity like that person's like a movie star i mean pew never smelled so good like (sighs) yeah well i'm all you that's what it's it that's what it is i mean she's a goddamn star dude this was her coming out year mm-hmm. like i feel this is like i mean you don't get these often too like weirdly i think we're gonna get one next year with anna de armis knives out was a preview but she has like three movies coming out next year i don't know if you've ever had the moment where you like you get like on the ground floor of someone and just oh like, yeah that no, person's no, gonna be yeah yeah his, his name's ari aster i mean so, like built that hot <laughs> With with Florence, I watched a movie called Lady Macbeth. I've heard that's really that's good. From 2015, it was in my top ten of that year, and I was just like, that that lady is gonna be a fucking powerhouse. Like I would watch any movie she's in, and a lot of them are not very good. She was in a lot of bad stuff before she started making good movies. I've heard she's amazing in Little Drummer Girl. That's a movie. Uh, it's a it's a mini series. Oh. Yeah, okay. I think I know what you're talking about. Oh, she's an outlaw king. Yeah, I don't give a shit about it, most of these. Oof. We, you know what we should do? We should keep uh, we should keep tabs on her, like try to watch everything right now while it's young, and then like maybe eventually do a, a Mount Rushmore on her. That would be interesting in like five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give her time well, to she's build up. Like, uh... like 23, 24? Oh, she's wor- oh, she's working. She's killing it right now. Oh, she's going to be in that Black Widow movie. That's going to get her some money. I hope she does the, like, the Robert Pattinson thing. I did the big money role, and now I can do a bunch of small stuff. Because she seems yeah. pretty happy with doing the small stuff. Yeah, and she's really good in the small stuff. Little Women is one of those small things. Favorite scenes? Let's each break down one scene that right. we both really liked. Mm, what's yours? Anytime I suspect that like Chris Cooper is going to bad touch the youngest daughter and then I'm just found out wrong and I'm like, oh, he's a good guy. Well, I'm an asshole. No, not at all. Probably favorite scene is between, I mean, um, Amy and uh, what's his name? Timothy Chalamet, who has a real name in it. Laurie. Laurie. Yeah, Jesus. 
Come on, man. Um, the game. I don't know. Have a name I remember. How about that, Mary? Huh? Maybe if we called him Mary. Ugh, Lori. But um, yeah, it, the scene between Lori and Amy is um absolutely is absolutely one of the best acted scenes. Why the fuck he's not up for a supporting actor nomination? I won't know. He'll get one. He'll get a he'll get an Oscar. I'm not, I'm not going to predict him getting an Oscar, but he'll definitely be up for consideration. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm saying I'm saying I think he deserved this year to be up for one. I know there's someone in there that I could easily throw out for best supporting. Uh, I'm not oh yeah, fuck the list. you. No, Anthony Hopkins, super kicked right out of the oh, ring yeah, by rough. Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> He's best supporting. I thought he was the main character. No, I mean, aren't no. they both technically fuck. main characters? Can they both be uh, a best uh, actor? F- fucking cares. <laughs> fucking cares. Yeah, who fucking cares? Uh, not yeah. me. No, I know you don't. Um, but yeah, Timothy Chalamet should be up for best supporting actor. This movie should be up for fucking best director. Like, it's a travesty. Oh, for sure. It should be up for best fucking picture, which it is, thank God. Could you imagine they don't put it up for either? Ugh. The backlash that they would have would be monumental. Someone would burn down oh. the fucking... The Sony theater. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. It's you and me. <laughs> which are the, just the... It's the scene of um, Inglourious Bass. It's like, I don't want you to look deep into the face of the film lovers who did this to you. For some reason, Todd Phillips is just, like, fucking dressed as Hitler, and he's like, no, put on the Joker movie! You and I just kicking the thing with, like, submachine guns. I wouldn't be surprised if Todd Phillips had a Nazi uniform. That's that's really fucked up, Tyler. <laughs> I'm uh, not saying uh, he does. I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised. He made a movie about yeah. fucking Gigi Allen. So, like, I'm not saying um, he does. I'm not saying he is a Nazi. I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. What about you? What's your favorite scene? I really love the, the theater scene, like the theater club scene. Oh, that's good. They introduce Laurie into it. I think that's a good scene. I also love the um, her writing a letter and then going back and like taking the letter and throwing it away. I really like that. Yeah. Because you're like, yeah. oh, that's going to be like a thing. And then it's like, no. She's like, oh, fuck, they're happy. Like, oh, they're right the, scene where, the scene where Emma Watson's husband... Like, she just kind of says something to him, like, is real honest. And he's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't give you the life you wanted. You're just like, oh. And she just realizes she fucked up so hard. So good. The hurt look on her face is exactly how I want her to feel about wasting my time with that Beauty and the Beast movie. I mean, you should have never seen it in the first place. Well, I mean, no, fuck her. Be better. I mean, don't remake, don't remake classic kids Look, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, but if you're going to do it, be better. Like, I, I got Her problems fault. with everyone. No, it's a lot of people's fault. She's part of it. She's a terrible bell. Why was that the choice? Like, she should have just said no. No, know your limitations, dear. Like, oh, yeah, say no to those dump, that dump truck I'm, money I'm on I'm not you. saying that the money isn't tempting, but I'm just saying have some standards. I guess all I got to do is give them a reason why to go see this movie. Hell yeah. All right, you ready? Yes. Three, two, one, go. Little Women is the latest film from Greta Gerwig, her third. And I have to tell you, Greta Gerwig, as far as I know, because I've only seen two of the three, is two for two right now. Lady Bird is an absolute smash, and this is a fascinating way to tell an old story. 
she breathes new life into this movie. The reason this is probably going to win for best adapted screenplay, because she did adapt it, but she also made it her own. And I think that's a massively important thing when you're adapting something is that people hear your voice when you're doing it. Cause you are writing it at the end of the day. So that means you are the author of these characters fates. She doesn't change anything. And yet at the same time, she kind of does and still remains faithful because it's more or less what the original author would have wanted. She kind of gets justice for the author in this movie and does it in a really respectful way where it doesn't fuck with the original idea that was put out. It's a very great way to do it. I absolutely adore it. I think Saoirse Ronan is brilliant in this movie. If there is someone who I also could argue could take down the Goliath that is Judy and Renee Zellweger, I think Saoirse Ronan has a real case to be made. The girl's been nominated like four or five times in the last like four to six years. That's pretty incredible. She's going to be the one who they give something to way later in life that's not nearly as good. Let's also not forget Florence Pugh. She's amazing as well. All of them are good. Laura Dern's in this movie too, and she's incredible. Little Women, it absolutely deserves to be here. Greta Gerwig should have been up for Best Director. You ready to go on to your number four? Yeah. This is going to be a lot of fun, because this, one, this, one's, this one's a weird one, guys. I only knew about this movie because I heard like the very basic premise. And from that very basic premise, I was like very intrigued. This sounds extremely like my type of movie. And then I saw that I was playing at this place called Living Room, which I've talked about probably, weird Portland theater. And so we, we, we drove downtown, we parked, we walked to the theater, we got there, and I was absolutely mesmerized by this weird throwback to Giallo and like slasher films and that's like takes place in Paris in 1979. It's a French movie. It's, of course, Knife and Heart. <laughs> C'est un de ses amis qui a découvert le corps. Carl venait de tourner dans un de mes films. Quel genre de film exactement Oh, arrêtez votre charme. Faites pas le coup des types, ils sont pas renseignés. Dans deux minutes, je veux tous à poil et regarde à vos purettes que Giscard. On se soulage avec la main, on est à l'aise entre copains. Oh Coupez Sur le plateau, il était du genre insatiable, les yeux illuminés, à la merci de ses partenaires comme possédés. Vous savez, quand on s'oublie avec l'autre, qu'on sait plus où on est, ça vous est jamais arrivé. Une forme d'amour en quelque sorte, puissant. C'était le dernier plan du tueur homo. Bravo. Tyler, stop me if you've heard this one before. So, 
you you've heard of gay porn, right? Yes. And you've heard of serial killers, right? Yeah, yes. What if a serial killer was killing people on the set of a gay porn? I feel like that was the pitch. And, like, the guy was just about to get out of the elevator, and he just turns around, and he goes, come to my office in one day with that script. If you don't, I'm not giving you anything. But if you do, I'll give you whatever you want. Um, I have the script right here. This movie has two deaths in it that I never want to happen to me. It has, like, many deaths I don't want to have happen. Uh, there are two specific. Stabbed in one place and also stabbed in another place. Just just seems awful. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Tell us about this movie. Give us Since there, you can't really tell us who's in it because we don't really know anyone in it. Vanessa Paradis is in it. And she's, and who, she's the main woman? She's the main woman, yeah. And tell us about this. So the movie is, takes place, like I said, takes place... Over the summer in 1979 um, in Paris, it is about a collective who shoot gay pornography, who shoot like really ragtag gay pornography in France at the time. And they're slowly being picked off by a a leather-masked murderer who kills the first person. And this is what got me to see it with one of the weirdest murder weapons I have ever seen. <laughs> you know uh, what? D- don't be coy. Just tell them what it is. It is a uh, dildo that is converted into a switchblade. Yeah. Um, and it is, and Tyler, it is, this, takes guy, the metaphor this guy... It takes the metaphor and makes it literal. <laughs> it really, like, it's a shame that they couldn't get a cameo from Captain Stabbin in this movie. This beer is not very good. Sorry. Oh, I thought you were being grossed up by my Captain Stabbing joke, but you know. I mean, no, I, I like that joke. I just, I paused the, I muted myself so that I could take a drink and then go, but I, I unpaused it before you. Yeah. I get you. So, yeah, I'll say this too. And, and the guy who's picking these people off, like you see him, he's obviously like a really handsome guy, right? He is revealed to, no, I'm not going to tell him. He's a guy in a leather mask. It's a, he's a, he's a very threatening figure. <laughs> that, that is a nightmare mask. It is upsetting. Like, if I saw that coming to me, I would just try to put as many people between me and him as possible. Mm-mm, not coming near me. Not that guy. Nope. No, nope. I'm going to put everyone in front of you. Mm-hmm. So many people are going to get in front of you, you're just going to give up. Or just kill all of them. I, I don't know. You seem, <laughs> pre- you seem pretty motivated. <laughs> that guy seems like he wants him dead. Yeah, oh my god. The, the scene at the beginning. I remember sitting there and like, I remember sitting there and the wife comes out and she goes, what are you watching? And I'm like, knife plus heart. And she goes, what is it? And I gave her the premise and she goes, this is a Tyler pick, isn't it? I go, oh yeah. And she goes, I'm going back in the other room. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. Well, you you have fun. I'll, I'll be out here watching knife plus heart. I gotta tell you, man, I like this a lot more than I thought I was going to. It's really good, right? <laughs> I'm just sitting there and I'm like, yeah, that's probably what the set of a gay porno is like, I imagine. Really dingy and really, really kind of gross. And just three guys just making out. Mm, yeah. Yeah. When, so you saw this at a theater. I saw this at a theater. Who were the people who went to see this movie? Uh, me, two other college, uh, like a college, like two college aged girls, I think. And one lone guy, like by himself. Interesting. Yeah. And how did you all enjoy it? We all loved it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> like very clearly, like, everyone was like, "Oh, this this, this shit fucking slaps." Oh, uh, 
I do miss the fact that I don't have like all these movies to have access to. This movie would not do well in Reno. <laughs> 2005, though, we would get weird shit like this. It, you know, there used to be things called independent movie theaters that were great and would play things like this occasionally, even for like just like a week. The person who ran the theater would know a guy in distribution who's like, no, you should do this for just like a little bit. And like as like a favor, they would play like something super fucking weird. Oh, I swear to God, we could open a theater in 1969, you and I. Oh, it would with the money we have business. now. With the money we have now. The thing is, is like the 80s and 90s were really hard on movie theaters. Not if we knew the right things. I would constantly be like, nah, dude, we gotta play Betty Blue. We gotta play the, we gotta play Long Cut Betty Blue. <laughs> you're like, no one's going to see that. You're like, you're the only one. You have, for some reason, you have one of those flags that you hold up at a baseball game, a pennant that has that on it, but I don't know how. We are desperately not trying to talk about Knife Plus Heart, <laughs> which is not fair. Why is it called Knife Plus Heart? Um, because the French title, let me, let me poorly pronounce some French words like I do, like to do. Un châtillon dans la côte is a literal translation. It means a knife in the heart. So the movie was released here as Knife and Heart. So it's not Knife plus Heart, it's Knife and Heart. Yeah. And I think you're supposed to kind of say it fast, so it sounds like Knife and Heart. Knife and Heart. All right. Huh. Interesting. I like it. It's very giallo influence. Uh, a lot of giallo colors, which is I love. I'm just like, yeah, give me those, give me those reds, man. Another thing is they are shooting a gay porn based on the murders called Homicidal. That that is, <laughs> so that, is that is spectacular, by the way. Do you yeah. know what my favorite scene of this movie was? Yeah, go for it. We get to see the gay porno at the end. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Most movies wouldn't do that, but this movie's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, we, we shot it. We might as well. <laughs> my favorite thing about this movie is that the main character throughout most of the movie is having a falling out with her editor who is her was her girlfriend and they're like slowly going through this like really painful process of like reconciling that their relationship is done. well she is going through the process of reconciling that her relationship is like not anymore and they're still working together <laughs> which i was just like watching i was like no nah, fucking that must suck Weirdly, this is your marriage story. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like, half the movie is about that, and the other half of the movie, well, not half the movie, like a third of the movie is about that. The other third of the movie, like the other majority of the movie is about like investigating why these, like why someone is like killing her friends. Oh, and the um, people, and the people they make you think are doing it too. They're like, it's everybody. You're like, you're like, I'm pretty sure it's that cop with the weirdest face I've ever seen. No offense to him if that's his real face. It's just a weird face. I think I looked it up, and I think that might be that guy's uh, real face. Or, like, uh, oh. he put a little, like, just, like, a little bit of makeup on him. I mean, it's bizarre how strange he looks, and they make you think it's him. Like, mm -hmm. you're pretty sure it is. I mean, I think at one point we did the deep red thing again where I texted you and said, I think I know who it is. And you're like, I don't think you do. I'm like, and by you the way, don't. I don't. <laughs> by the way, don't, did, didn't know who it was. No. By the way, I don't think we ever said it's the mom in deep red. <laughs> Oh, right, yeah. yeah. And she gets murdered. Oh my god, does she? Her head comes off. The, I mean, she... like, I'm not kidding you. Not since Deep Red have I seen a movie that has the most interesting and elaborate deaths like this movie. Oh, yeah. 
I'm, I'm just I'm just gonna say it. People need to know it. There's a scene where a dude gets stabbed to death by being stabbed in the rectum to death. It's the most upsetting thing I've seen all year. I feel like this movie, if you had to pair it with something, you could pair it pretty easily with cruising. Oh no no, I'm gonna pair it with Marriage Story. You know what? I would actually like to see the people who show up for that double bill. <laughs> well, honey, I, I loved Marriage Story. I'm sure whatever this is is equally plus good. Ah, oh, it sounds like a French movie. <laughs> they just come out horrified. They're like, we, we need to break up. And she's like, she goes because of she goes because of Marriage Story. He goes no. No, because of nice plus art. I think I'm into gay porn. And he just walks away from her, and now we're just sitting up at the top of the thing. We go, we did it, Tyler. Another couple saved. And you're like, Ben, are you watching the same thing? I like how uh, that guy's voice was just Jimmy Stewart. It, it is. Every 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 clean-cut American guy is just Jimmy Stewart in my head. Why? 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 Well, I don't, we have, have, to I don't have the money. It's at Phil's house. What? We have to go see Knife and Heart. Oh, it's just, it's just a good old time. Apparently, it's about a film crew in Paris. The city of love. He just comes out now doing the Paul Schrader voice. He's like, oh my god, nothing matters. By the way, have you heard Paul Schrader talk? Yeah, no, it's 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 very jarring. He sounds like he ate a cigarette factory. He he, he does, but he also has that like like lisp. Oh god, it's amazing. It's a really good voice. Yeah, it is. I, I can't do it. No, I'm not going to do it because I think it's not offensive. <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit. I mean, Knife Plus Heart, like, it's a, it's a wild movie, dude. It's a good movie. It's a really um, good movie. What is your favorite scene? Good question. Let me think. The picnic is great. I love the kill at the picnic. It's, like, absolutely heartbreaking. Remind me who gets killed at the picnic. I believe it is a trans woman. Um, I forget I forget her by, name. By the way, this movie is just all over the board in terms of, like, having people of every diversity and sexuality in it. It's really, really good. It's made, yeah. I think the, the guy who makes it, I, who made it, I'm pretty sure is, is queer. And I think that was like his big thing is he like wanted to make a love letter to like gay porn of the eighties and like the seventies and eighties. Um, well, he did it in the most unique way possible. I mean, he did. I, this movie is wonderful and I absolutely cherish it. It's very good. <laughs> um, Have you watched the, anything else he's done? This is his first feature. Oh, I thought uh, he had something before this. He had a short film that is really good that I've seen. Hmm. Because it was on movie. And he also, I'm going to give a shout out to someone. In the film, there's a man uh, named Bertrand Medico who made a movie called uh, The Wild Boys, which was in the top 10 of the year previous, uh, which is also a very weird, very queer film. Anyway, oh no, he does have You and the Night. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Did he just write that or did he direct that? He would direct. He wrote and directed it. I don't, okay. I haven't seen that. But I've seen, I think, it was either Islands. I think it was Islands. And that was really good. Uh, hold on, I'm going to read you a, a little synopsis for You and the Night, because we're going to watch this movie and talk about it. Around midnight, a young couple and their transvestite maid prepare for an orgy. Their guests will be the slut, the star, the stud, and the teen. All right, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, okay. Well, find that movie. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm very in. Yeah, that actually sounds pretty amazing. So you need a minute and a half to tell us why Knife and Heart strikes right in the bright place. And not not the rectum. God damn it. It's so upsetting. I saw Midsummer this year, and this movie somehow has a more upsetting scene. I'm not going to say anything. Save yeah, that for the Midsummer discussion. <laughs> yeah, it's happening, in, it's happening in about three, 
two, one minute and a half. It's it's rare for a movie to like live up to the hype, and for me to hear about this movie, that's like giallo and like a throwback to like gay porn and it's about this like really depressed woman in paris and it's all these things and people are like oh it's so great it's very rare for me to like actually get to see that movie and then it live up to the expectations and for a very long period of time this was in my number one spot crystallized and only got knocked off towards the end of the year it is genuinely the i can say this the most unique movie you would see this year if you if you watched it it's also on shutter so if you have that you can watch it whenever you want and i implore you to take a chance on it you don't have to watch it all the way through but it is genuinely one of the most interesting and will give you a wild ride that you did not see coming um, if you do watch it 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 takes no qualms it paints its main character as maybe a bad person and you will not see like where it goes because it is just absolutely wonderful and when i saw it in theaters it had a weird little uh music video that played in front of it which is always nice it had a little short um and uh yeah that'll be my time i can't actually i can't wait to see what this director does next because i'm sure it'll be equally as good and weird that'll be my time all right you got in just under the wire nice you ready to go into my number three, since we just came out of your number four, which was Knifeheart? Uh, yeah, totally. All right. Sophomore film from Ari Aster focuses on the ideas of society and grief and all the horror an outsider can bring to those situations. A story that feels reminiscent of films previous, but with a level of brutality not recently seen. An excellent young cast really makes this film sing. This is Midsommar. Danny? Oh, I'm really sorry, Pele. Thank you for inviting me, but I, I really have to go. Can someone maybe drive I, me I somewhere? I know I shouldn't have left you stay for that. I, I mean, I know it looks extreme, but we I don't only... know why I'm here, Pele. I don't know why you invited us. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't okay, know okay, why I'm okay, here. Okay, I don't fine, know. Okay. And I can't... Come on. No. Come on, sit down, Danny. Danny, please. Mm. Please sit down. Danny. I invited my friends because this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing and I wanted to share it, especially with my friends who I knew would appreciate it, because I, I am proud of okay, this place. Okay, okay, but I'm not an anthropologist and I don't understand any of this. Yes, yes, I don't yes, get... I know, I know, and, and yet I was the most excited for you to come. Here. Here, smell this. What is it? Calls you down. No, I'm fine. I don't want it. Are you sure? No, I'm, I really want to go, Billy. I don't, I don't want it. Okay. I know what you're going through, Danny. What am I going through? Because I lost my parents, too. What? No, no, Pele, yes, yes, that yes. is not what I'm talking no, about. I'm not, not talking, talking about, about my family. I'm I not talking about my family. I lost my parents when I was a little boy. About... They burned up no, in a I fire. No, I wasn't talking about that. My parents, they <sighs> burned up in a fire and... I became technically an orphan. So believe me when I tell you that I know what it's like because I do, I really, really do. Yet my difference is I never got the chance to feel lost because I had a family here. 
where everyone embraced me and swept me up. And I was raised by a community that doesn't bicker over what's theirs and what's not theirs. That's what you were given. But I have always felt held by a family, a real family. everyone deserves and you deserve it well if Christian could walk in he's what I'm talking about he's my good friend and I like him but Danny do you feel held by him does he feel like home to you Midsommar. Yeah, that too. Alright. <laughs> you just no-sell that, I suppose. Look, 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 look. Uh, first of all, that coming from the king of the no-sells. True. Yeah. At least you're not the king of the incels. No, that would be Joker. Hey, got him. <laughs> you're not on either of our lists. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> Bag him and tag him, boys. You were number 15 on mine. Da, 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 da. <laughs> there would literally have to be... Five other deaths before you get to number 10. Oh, man. All of the planes crashed. We have to yeah. talk about Joker. So we're going we're gonna to go through the questions for my number three. Right. I, I've got to ask you, because uh, I, th I think with something like this, it's fair to ask you, what do you not like about this? Like wholesale? What, like, what do you, like, what do you mean? Like, where, where do you want me to begin? <laughs> Uh-oh. I uh have a problem. <sighs> okay. I think Ari Aster is talented i don't want to say he's not talented i think he's very talented and he's he's a very gifted constructor of images i think he's very good at uh framing things i think he's very good at like like telling the audience what's happening before it happens the problem i have had with both of his movies is i find them unnecessarily edgy like to the point where it's like edgelord status at like you know, like the guy who's like who, who wears nothing but like ICP T-shirts, talking about like all sorts of shit like that. Like, I find it just like unnecessarily bleak and edgy for the sake of being edgy. I don't think he brings anything new to horror movies. I don't think his movies are even that scary. I find them mostly boring. I find the main performances that people rave about as being great to be kind of bad and uneven. I don't. I did not love Tony Collette's performance. I didn't love Florence Pugh's performance in this because I'm just like they're doing the same note over and over again. <laughs> like they're not doing anything different the entire movie, and I don't think he's like. If anything, he's regressed between movies. I think Midsummer is significantly worse than Hereditary, which is a movie I went to the movies like four times trying to find something out of and just like couldn't. Got to the point where I was like, I cannot do this to myself anymore. I have to like just let this one go. I saw Midsummer twice. The first time I saw it during the big triumphant scene where everybody's like, "Oh, it was so gross." I was laughing because it was so over the top and dumb. Mm -hmm. um, what happens? Because I was just like, "That's hilarious!" It's like a cartoon, and people were like, "No, it's like, it's like." It's like super scary. I'm like, I wasn't supposed to be laughing. I thought I was supposed to be laughing. I thought it was supposed to be cartoonish. <laughs> like, that's I fair. The point of that scene was for me to laugh because I was like, no, it's 
stupid. And I just, I don't know. I just, I, I went and saw the extended cut, the director's cut. I found it just as boring and navel gazing and ponderous as all of the other stuff I've seen of his. I just don't get it. I just, I, it's, you know. Hey, hey, that is totally, totally fair. And that is like totally acceptable. There are filmmakers that you have presented who I'm just like, I don't, I don't fucking think I get it. Like, it's just, it's just something that like, it doesn't connect with you in the same way. Now, I will say this. I don't believe a horror, I believe horror movies almost should be erased after the first time you see them because it's never going to be as good the second time. And a horror movie is all about the first time you see it. And for me, both of these movies, the first time I see it, and I'll I'll admit it, I enjoy them upon second viewing because I pick out little things the second time around. But the first time are absolutely spellbinding. I, I really like Ari Aster. I think he's becoming a guy who I who I really enjoy watching. I mean, it kind of sucks for you that you're doing this podcast because you'll have to hear about him occasionally, if especially if he makes something really that like captures my imagination and makes it on a top ten list. Because I imagine next year around 2021 we'll do this again, and if he happens to make a film and it's as good as one of these two, it's going to be on that list. I hope so, and I hope he matures into like a, a filmmaker that people really get behind. I think I genuinely, my heart of heart thinks that once he gets out of the horror landscape, he's going to make a movie that's just going to be embarrassing because I just don't think he has the skill set to do anything other than horror. And I think people grade horror differently and they, they let shit slide when they really shouldn't. I don't know. It's just like, this is, he's the most a director has ever been in my life. Like has like since coming up, it's just like, I, I like get it. I get, I understand what the movies are about. I can I can sort of see what people get out of them. I just don't. I just absolutely it like bounces off of me like a magnet, like to like the same poles of a magnet. You know what I mean? Like just like this is everything I don't want from a, well, from let a me, horror movie. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What would you say? Le- if you could sit down with Ari Aster, if you could give him one thing that you think would help improve his filmmaking from your perspective, what would it be? Edit. Okay, like, edit. Take stuff okay. out. Like, you let things, you just... Midsummer is fucking two and a half hours long, and it definitely does not need to be that long. His scripts are bad. Don't write anymore. Let so other you, people so write your biggest, you. your, your biggest note is direct, don't... don't. Yeah. Because right. I, I don't mean, think he knows how to edit himself. You, so you're saying Ari Aster loves him some Ari Aster. Yeah, I think he he loves... I mean, no one has told him, like, hey, your writing is bad. Like, you can't do that. Like, if you read his scripts, they just, from, like, a scene-by-scene basis, you're like, this is hard to get through. It's yeah. just, it's, you know, it's just, like... And he's also just, like, focused on, like, this, like, weird stuff, like like men in kilts and like 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 these like gender dynamics and like he really thinks old people naked is like really shocking and it's like it's not <laughs> like they're just like that's just some old titties i don't know what you think is so upsetting about that i mean i don't think it's supposed to be upsetting i'll, I'll say this um well, you I know, mean, it's let's, let's... two movies. That's a theme. Oh yeah, that's oh a, yeah. No, no, oh, like, no, no. Not coincidence oh, no, anymore. No, no, no. He's he's definitely got a thing that he goes for. I'm I'm not arguing any of these points with you. Everything you are saying is correct because of one thing. This is sheer opinion on his filmmaking style, and that's what film is. It's art. It's subjective. Like. I had a friend last night who had to leave early from Parasite and they turned to me and I was like, hey, do you want me to bring this on Monday so you can watch it? He's like, how much more is left? I'm like, about an hour and 10. I was like, does it get more upsetting than where we're at? 
I'm like, nah, maybe in like one scene. And he goes, nah, I'm okay. And he knew exactly what his limit was. Like, so I think that's good. Whereas with you, you understand like what works and what doesn't work with Ari Aster. Just the same way where if, God, who's on yours that I'm trying to look at yours. That was. No, you could just start with uh, 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 the, the High Life. No, that movie I just didn't like. I, I've seen other stuff by that filmmaker I like. Oh, Todd Hayes for me. I never quite can hook into a Todd Hayes movie. There's good things I like about Todd Hayes movies, but like, like overall, it just it doesn't work for me. This is how you feel about Ari Aster. There are just things that don't work for you. So, I mean, I would be curious to see if he does a movie where he just directs to see how you would feel about it. I mean, I, I, I would too. I think a lot of it is kind of like the Eli Roth syndrome where i was just like every eli roth movie i've ever watched i'm just like man fucking eli roth made this <laughs> and like <laughs> i could tell because it just feels like an eli roth movie and it got to the point where i'm just like i'm just not gonna watch any more eli roth movies. see eli roth is gross for the sake of being gross this guy i don't feel is that i but feel I, like i like yeah. the thing is, is i like when i kind of like eli roth for that reason where he's like i'm not trying to fucking make a point i mean he is with hostile and he is with his movies but he's like the point is secondary you mm. know what i mean it's not art it's exploitation yeah, okay whereas i think ari aster's like no it's not exploitation it's art and there's something about that that bugs me because i'm like it exploitation is art like, you know what I mean? Like, exploitation films are just as valuable as art films. And yeah, I can, I, I can, I can appreciate what you're saying. And I, and I honestly think part of it isn't even his fault. Like, I think it's just, like, the way that they're sold to me. I just, I, they give me a bad taste as part of it. That's part of the reason why I don't like these movies. It's like, oh, it's like, you know, it's elevated. It's more than a horror movie. I'm well, like, let me do this. My mother always told me, to put on a hat. No, I'm sorry. That's the Joker. God, that movie's still stuck in my head. My mother always told me, if you are looking at something overall that you don't like, try to find something that's positive about it and kind of look at it from that perspective as a start. Is there one thing you could say about an Ari Aster film that you do enjoy? I mean, about Midsummer in particular is it doesn't, it doesn't like adhere to the standard like horror color palette, which is like grace and, and, and blacks and browns and like, Okay. Dark hues. It's like it's pretty colorful. I mean, I think um, I think he has a wonderful visual eye. I think he knows how, like you said, knows how to set up shots. I, I think, think his cinematographer saying. has a wonderful visual eye. Oh, for sure. He understands that that, that cinematographer is a valuable asset. Oh um, yeah, and he uses that cinematographer. He yeah. really lets that person like wander, which is good. Yeah, I hate when they fucking flip the camera upside down. That's my least favorite. That's my least favorite thing people move, like movies do. I hate it so much. Boy, you were mad at this movie. All right, let's go into the questions. All right. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. We've talked about who's been in, sort of involved with this film. Ari Aster. I mean, other actors. Florence Florence Pugh is, or how do you, do you know how you say it? I feel no, bad. I keep saying it wrong. I think I think it's Florence Pugh. Pugh. Florence Pugh. Okay. God, we can't we can't we just change it to Florence Penelope or something? Something where we all can say it. I really it. wish it was like a 40 situation where it's like Florence Poog, Poog, Poog. Your name's Florence Johnson. So the people in this movie are Florence Poog as Danny. You have Jack Reiner as Christian, her boyfriend. You have William Jackson Harper as their friend, making his second appearance on, on the lists. William Poulter as Mark, or as I like to call him, the guy who is most definitely going to die. Oh my God. 
And then Wilhelm Blomgren as their friend from Sweden. And the premise of this film is four guys are going to go over to Sweden for this festival. And one of them is dating this girl named Danny, played by Florence Pugh, who is going through a rough time because both of her parents and her sister just died in a really horrific way. I won't spoil it for you. And she goes over there with her boyfriend to this Swedish festival and in the typical vein of a horror movie, things aren't quite what they seem. This falls into the category of horror of everyone else is aware of something you are not. No, you're right. I.E. Wicker Man and things like that would be what I would say. There's a name for it. It's not a not cult movie. There's Sacri- like a specific... Sac- sacrifice movie? It's similar to that. Uh, hold on. Not like a cult, but similar to cult. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a Not, it's like a, like a it, pagan thing. Yeah, like it, pagan a, sacrifice movie. There's a word. There's a. I'll find it and type in a fucking group chat. But like Blood of Satan's Claw and like these satanic sacrifice type movies. Since we both saw this, and how long did it take you to see this? Like how long before you like? Oh, oh. I saw it like the opening week. Like, okay, we so immediately. Okay, so did I. Well, yeah, I believe on a fr- former podcast. I can't remember if it made the final edit. You said, "Well, I've read the script. I'd be a coward if I didn't go." <laughs> This is true. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would be coward if I didn't go. I mean, I'll I'll say this. Here's the this will this will make you just either have less respect or more respect for me. We'll see. I went to this because I got off early on a Friday, and I called my sister. I said, "Hey, you want to go see Midsummer?" She's like, "Absolutely not. Hereditary was terrifying. I don't want to see." It. I'm like, "Come on, come see Midsummer." She's like, "Okay, I'll go see it." So we went and saw it, and we're sitting in there about halfway through. My phone goes. Bruh! And I'm like, okay, what the fuck? And I, I look at, there's, by the way, there might've been 20 people in our theater. And I looked at and it's Brielle going like, Hey, I'm getting off early as well. And I, and I wrote back, I'm like, cool. And she's like, have you seen Midsummer yet? Do you want to go? And I'm like, no, I have not. She's like, do you want to go tonight? I'm like, sure. So I literally walked out of like the four o'clock something in Midsummer and then went into the seven o'clock right afterwards. And like right as we got at the end, Brielle was like, "That was really good." And I go, "Yeah, I saw it. I saw it two hours ago. It was good the second time too." She's like, "What?" I'm like, "Nothing. Well, you should go to the car." <laughs> this is the second Ari Aster movie I have not. She's seen twice. I've seen twice, and she hasn't known up until the second time. Because <laughs> I'm serious. I don't want people to think I've seen a movie with them because they'll be like, I feel like they'll be looking for my reaction to stuff, and I want nah. them to go in as naturalistically as possible. Not me. When I'm at the movies, I am locked in, baby. I did like how the audience played because it was fucking deadly silent throughout the entirety of the movie, except for that moment uh, where they jump up. Where the moment, if you've seen Midsummer, I'm going to spoil something. If you haven't seen Midsummer and you still want to see Midsummer, skip this part. But the scene where the old people are sacrificed and they jump off the cliff, uh, I found that whole thing so funny. I was like, "This this is this is laugh riot, guys!" And like, I started laughing heard the silence and then had to like stifle it so i was just like in my chair like chuckling the entire time and i must have seemed like a fucking psychopath you're like hashtag the funniest movie of the uh, year question mark it's hashtag one of the funniest scenes of the movie of the I year mean, and it's funny you say that because i was sitting next to for the first showing of this i was sitting next to my sister and we were about in the middle of the row and about five seats down from us was a couple and when that moment happened there was a guy and a girl and the guy got up and he moved past her and she, I watched him too. Cause he was walking down. Cause I always, anytime anyone moves in a theater, I'm like, ah, 
we live in 2020. I got to keep an eye on this. And he moved past her and she kind of like, he turns back as he's walking down the stairs and she looks at him and kind of puts her arms up like, what the hell? And he goes, I can't do it. And like, just walked out. (laughs) And I was like, God damn, put that on the poster. I can't do it. Guy in theater too. Since this is such a controversial one and I'm going to say this, I'm going to tell them my favorite scene and I would love to hear your least favorite scene. So we'll finish big with yours. But for me, I gotta say, I think my favorite scene in this movie is the dancing around the Maypole scene. Mm. It's, it is just such a well, like, and it's also the moment where you start to realize, oh, everyone in this is probably fucked, except maybe her. Mm. Like, it's almost like her, like, earning the right not to be killed when she wins that whole thing. Mm. What did you Um, think? What did you think? No. I don't think she's going to be killed from the beginning because I have a very specific theory that no one else has. Oh, no, uh, no. I, I think you and I are on the same thing. I don't think she was ever. I, I think, I don't think, I think as an audience, you're supposed to think that. But by the end of it, you're like, oh, she was never in danger. She's she's the flipping of the uh, the final girl. She mm-hmm. was always going to be the final girl. They well, planned it from the start. Uh, yeah, I believe that. I also believe they, they talk about how they have to bring people from the inside, from the outside world into the cult. Oh, yeah, to breed. Yeah, and I think literally the entire thing is set up by the cult, and I think you're supposed to believe that. And for how me, that's much, the dumbest much, shit imaginable. How much? I think of it's all set up? of it. I you, think you're supposed to think that you're that she like killed like her family was murdered by the cult. No, I don't uh, think that's a dumb idea. I think that actually enhances it. For me, it enhances it. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> it I makes it worse. See, see, you saying that makes me because I've thought that too. I'm like, there was a moment where I'm like, I wonder if the cult was responsible for all of it. I think it. I think I. I. I mean, I think so, but I'm also a dummy. So, you know. Oh, no, that doesn't make you a dummy. That makes you a person having abstract thoughts about film. I, I, I disagree. So what is your least favorite scene? I think the suicide stuff, as I'm just like, this is stupid. It was stupid in the script. It's stupid in the movie. I think it's just pointless. Her sister killing herself and, like, tying a hose to her mouth. Which, by the way, if you are supposed to think it's suicide, how the fuck do you tie a hose to your own mouth? How do you duct tape it? Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. That's interesting. So let me ask you this. Would you have been more happy with it if he paid that off that they were the ones who, like, did it? No, because, like, I like the ambiguity because I like being able to argue about it. But, like, I also just think it's fucking stupid and you don't need it. God, so salty at Midsummer. Man. That's Edgelord shit, man. Like, oh, her fucking family died because of, like, a murder-suicide. I'm like, you don't need that. They could have just died in a car accident or... You know, like so, you're say, so you're saying, like so you're saying, like the the movie The Descent does that so much better. Yeah, yeah, because hmm. it's it's, but also The Descent pays it off, and The Descent like adds to it later on by like being like, I was also having an affair with your husband. That's fair. That's and fair. Also, The Descent fucking rules. I love The Descent. Oh, The Descent rules absolutely. If we ever do a if we ever do a podcast where we do the best horror movies of the two thousands, that's definitely going to be in there. Yeah, The Descent and The Descent too. Boom, back to back. I believe it's the redescent, actually, is what it's called. The descending. The de- <laughs> is that always our sequel? It's just something with the word with the ing at the end. I remember, like, on one of our first dates, we were at a place and they were playing like this snowboarding movie called Deeper, and Naomi and I just kept making deeper jokes, like trying to like add a suffix to the sequel of Deeper. And it was very fun. <laughs> deeper two, the deepening. Yeah, deeper two, the deepening. Uh, deeper three, deeper. Um, deeper four, the redeepening. Deeper five deeper in 3d deeper six deepers creepers that's a good one yeah yeah Yeah. so 
I guess all we have left. Oh no, for our top three, we have two more questions, and I, I want to hear yours as well. What would you pair this with? A hole in the ground. I would pair it with Hereditary and make it a one-person double feature that involves you. Oh, I'm I'm like strapped in like a clockwork orange. <laughs> no, please! I don't want to hate movies. <laughs> and let me ask you this: Who would you recommend this to outside a of hole in the ground? <laughs> God damn it, God! Fucking damn you. I would honestly recommend this to anyone who wants to be just genuinely unnerved. Like, there are people at my work who don't like horror movies, like AJ, my friend. And I would be like, yeah, you know what, AJ? You should watch this for two and a half hours. People, uh, I would recommend it to people who like horror movies who haven't seen it. I don't know how you haven't seen it if you like horror movies, but would if you're you, a horror head and you, you haven't that, seen it. Would you then. say the idea of shooting it all in daylight is pretty clever? It's, that's an interesting idea, yeah. I like I like I like I said I like some of the ideas and I just I I like this one I just it fucking pissed me off man I was I mad. I want to get you in a room with Ari Aster. I really do. I don't want to be in a room with Ari Aster. Ugh. I'd think... be very polite and be like I don't like any of your movies. Oh no no you shouldn't lie to him but I I think he would welcome. Oh him. no I would very politely say I don't like any of your movies. I think he would welcome the print or I think he would welcome the critique. I I disagree. We we could talk about Bergman. Me and him could probably have a very long conversation about Bergman. There you go. See? All right. Well, we should set that timer for a minute and a half. All right. Tell these people why we need to get out that boy erased eraser and tell them why you need to love this movie. A minute and a half? I almost set one for 10 minutes. That would have been very funny. (laughs) All right. You ready? Yep. Three, two, one, go. If you want a movie that is going to take you to a place you've never been, that would be Midsummer. Many movies have done things like this before, but no movie's bothered to take a movie and say, we're going to shoot a movie that's going to scare you, and 99% of it is going to be in hard light where you can see everything around you. Not only that, it's one of the most visually beautiful movies of the 2019. It's got all these just beautiful images to it. I think Florence Pugh is doing a wonderful job. This was a real breakout year for her. Weirdly, every one of her movies has come up on our lists, whether they be the best of the year or worst of the year. And I think she does a phenomenal job. I think she's wonderful in this. I think this is a good second movie from Ari Aster. I like Hereditary better. I think it plays a little smoother, and I think it moves a little better. But I think there's nothing wrong with Midsummer as a movie. I think it's absolutely wonderful to watch. I think there's excellent performances. I think the deaths in it are absolutely creepy and terrifying. And like I said, horror movies are meant to be viewed once for a really first effective time. And if you can somehow see this on a big screen for the first time, watch it there. Midsummer is an incredible movie. I look forward to seeing what his third movie will be. I'd love for him to step out of a horror genre and do something different. I would love to see him do something that isn't a horror movie. So yeah, Midsummer deserves to be on my list. As much as I have been repeatedly making fun of Midsummer, I, I do respect a filmmaker uh, to make a movie this polarizing. Um, oh. Oh, and speaking of which, not unlike respect, you're uh, making fun of Midsummer's getting retired up in the rafters. As oh, well. yeah. No. Yeah. I don't. I by the literally I feel like I ran out of steam towards the end. Like I'm like at the point where I'm like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> He's right. I'll sure. I'll find a I'll find another movie to make fun of. <laughs> I keep hitting uh, the Joker. I think that that I think that's about to retire Peter tight as well. <laughs> no, we haven't nearly laid into that movie enough. And now that I've seen it a second time, I'm like, man. Fuck this movie. You're like, man, Tyler was actually right. (laughs) You were right. Like I said, everything you've said is correct, except for the fact that I think that performance is still, like, really good. I I decide. Yeah. I find the performance troubling. 
And not for good reasons. <laughs> well, however, though, we're not going to be able to find the next performance troubling as we move on to your number three. Howard Ratner voice. I disagree. I disagree. Uncut gems. Dad, look, this is, this is my butt mitzvah dress. It still fits her. Oh, it's hysterical. Thanks. Oh, it's 9 o'clock. What do you think? Should we get going? Yeah, let's go. I, 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 I told him. I told him. What? I'm look gorgeous. Oh, God. I wanted to talk to you for a minute and just sit down and... We don't have to do it here. We'll, uh, we'll wait, but I, uh, I, uh, I'm having very serious second thoughts. And uh, we're all together right now. We're all so comfortable. It's, I, is it too late? Should we maybe, what do you think? Am I crazy? Are you serious right now? Yeah, I know. I know I fucked up. I know. Yeah, you fucked up. You are a fuck up. And I'm not having this conversation. Please stop. Just stop for one second and just look at me. Look in my eyes. And they'll tell you what I'm feeling. Please. Please. (sighs) (laughs) What are you thinking? (laughs) What? Tell me. Tell me. I I know. What? (laughs) Your face is so stupid. Okay. Okay. I'm going to leave her. I'll leave her. I don't need her. We're done. We're done. Okay. It's done. Uh, It was stupid. She's trash. She's trash. I know that. I was stupid. I'm done. I'm done. It means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. I'm begging you. Just, Just give me another shot. You know what, Howard? Say yes, what? I think you are the most annoying person I have ever met. I hate being with you. I hate looking at you. And if I had my way, I would never see you again. It's because you're mad. You're mad, and it makes sense. You can punch me if you want. We spoke earlier in the podcast. It might have been on part one. But we spoke about movies that are really got left behind this year in The Farewell and other things throughout it. Uh, Greta Gerwig for director for Little Women. This is a major black eye for not having this movie up for, first of all, lead actor and Adam Sandler. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm also going to say for picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I know I say I like, I'm very hyperbolic throw around masterpiece a lot. I won't say that. What I will say is that this is one of the best American movies of uh, this year, and I think of the latter half of the decade. It really captures that like 70s hard edge man on the run type feel and really captures it. It just makes it feel like a lightning, like a, like a, like somehow bottled lightning. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, this is. I mean, I will say this. I read an article today that said Adam Sandler signs a deal with Netflix for $275 million for four more films. If I was Netflix, I would say, and we want those films to be like uncut gems. I don't want everyone in the video. Like, Not everyone. Maybe maybe one out of the four. I mean, he's been making weird shit on there. I mean, like, I mean aside from like The Ridiculous Six and stuff like that, he made Sandy Wexler, which is a really uh, weird, interesting movie. And he also made Murder Mystery. Which are both like pretty good yeah he's a he's a dude he's a dude who can kind of like subvert expectations so who's involved in this movie outside of the sandman 
So you have the Sandman, you have uh, former NBA center uh, Kevin Garnett, you have like, Keith Stanfield, Adina Menzel, Eric Bogosian, and of course Julia Fox. And it is directed by the Safi brothers, Josh and Benny Safi, uh, who also did Good Times, Heaven Knows What, uh, Lenny Cook, Daddy Long Legs, and I think the last one is Josh did, or Benny did, The Pleasures of Being Robbed. Hmm. Uh, these are two filmmakers who are people to watch. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, Whether they get the fake accolades that Hollywood hands out every year is irrelevant. These two guys make very unique and interesting movies. Heaven Knows What is definitely a movie that, like, I think the first time I watched it, I was like, eh, it's kind of all right. And then, like, I feel like four months have gone by since I watched it. And I was like, actually, I think I kind of love that movie. I think Good Time is a 70s movie in the modern age. I mean, I think I think I think their Good Times and Uncut Gems are both like Oh yeah. Like boom boom. I'm very interested to see their remake of 48 Hours that they're apparently working on right now. That's hmm? They're apparently doing a remake of 48 Hours. When, when's the last time you watched 48 Hours? A while ago. Because the only way you can do a 48 Hours movie for a remake is to set it when 48 Hours took place at the time. Because there's a lot of dialogue in that movie that just doesn't work. You know, uh, uh, they might not actually be doing it. I don't know. They, I, But that's what I heard, is that they're doing 48 Hours. If Adam Sandler plays the Nick Nolte character, I'm all in. I don't think it's been, like, officially put into the casting stage, but that would, mm. that would be interesting. Yeah, just have him play a super racist cop. Oh, you know who'd be good in the, who'd be good in the Nick Nolte performance? Who's that? Literally any white man past the age of 60. Actually, Eric Bogosian would be perfect, but he's not a star, so can't cast him. Yeah, but he would he would be great. God, I love Eric Bogosian. My favorite thing about Uncut Gems was the picture of Adam Sandler from Saturday Night Live, like back in the 90s, where he's he's playing wild man Eric Bogosian as like a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> where did you get to see this? I mean, I went and, I went and saw it on a Tuesday night for $5 at the local Cinemark by my house. Mm-hmm. And it was a packed theater. It was absolutely crowded. I did not expect it to be like sold out. And... Dude, it was a great screening. Like, people were, like, laughing. People were, like, not expecting Adam Sandler to be this, like, scumbag. Oh, he's so wonderful. And give us, give us, give us the, you know what? Give us Jim Carrey explaining the entire crime of Ace Ventura to us. Okay, I don't have, I can't speak that fast. But essentially, there's a rare black oval that is dug up by Ethiopian Jewish miners that our man, uh, Howard Ratner, gets his hands on. He thinks he's going to sell it for like a million dollars. Turns out to not be that much. He has bet against himself. He owes $100,000 to his brother-in-law, Arno. He has two goons who keep trying to collect it. Everybody's like coming at him trying to collect the money that he owes them. And he just trying, he's just trying wine, wine and dine to outrun his debts, to sell that opal, to make his money back. And in the meantime, he is constantly betting on basketball because he's given Kevin Garnett the black opal. And that black opal has magical powers. And it's giving Kevin Garnett the ability to score big fucking points in a basketball game. And also Howard Ratner at one point says he's going to come. And it's a great movie. How was the audience? The audience was laughing, though, you said? Oh, the and... audience was, like, loving it. Like, laughing. Good. Gasp. At the end. Spoiler. 
didn't say anything, but yeah, like no, like they're literal like guests. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I remember. I remember. I was in. I watched it in bed with my wife, and she had kind of fallen asleep, and like about the I want to say two thirds the way through. And when that happens, I went Jesus, and she went, "What is it?" I'm like, "Nothing. Go back to bed. You shouldn't watch this. <laughs> You're gonna see it. You should not have that spoiled for you." Yeah, I know it gets you. Yeah, it really does. Favorite scene? What is it? What is your favorite scene? For oh, this? I love the like. I love so much of it. I love like the Passover scene where Adam Sandler is like slightly like showing his kid like where the money's at. <laughs> I love that. I love the scene where he has like Eric Bogosian and his goons like locked up in between the doors and oh. he's watching the game. You having a good time? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love when Arna like picks him up and he's in the car and he's like, I heard you resurfaced your pool. And he's just like, I never resurfaced anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I do love the breakdown scene where he, uh, where she shows him the tattoo oh. on her ass. <laughs> now you gotta get fucking buried with me. <laughs> oh God, what a wonderful. Oh, uh, I love uh, that movie's movie's great. Why do you think this got no love? What do you think happened there? From the Academy? Yeah. I just don't think it's their type of movie. Well, fuck them, it's their type of movie. In the 70s, this was their type of movie. Yeah, but, you know, it's not the 70s anymore. I also oh. just think, I don't know. I just think it's just... It's not like he made a fucking Norbit at the same time. Like, fuck, like, he's had a good year. Like, yeah, he, yeah. He came back on SNL. He did that fucking Adam Sandler concert thing, which did really, really well. I think it's also just the fact it was doing so well critically that it didn't get anything like not even like a best screenplay, which it deserves. That screenplay is is fire. Oh, Um, absolutely. It's just kind of, I don't know. It just didn't hit the way I think it hit most people. I think the Oscar voters were more prime for some of the more hoity-toity stuff. I just think it doesn't play well with them politically right now. Eh, you know, it's just like a bunch of stuff where you're just like, yeah, I could see them not caring. Uh, I, I know, but at least for him. I don't know. That, honestly, I think he deserves... I honestly think he does deserve... Like... I don't even know how to put it. I, I really honestly think he deserves, like, a fucking... Nomination. He doesn't need to win, but I honestly believe he deserves a nomination for this. I believe that too. And uh, the Safties deserve one for writing. This is one of the most well-written, tight scripts. I mean, I'll say this. How how long is this movie? Like two hours? Yeah. It doesn't it's waste your time. It perfect. feels really quick. Yeah. It, actually, it might be a little longer. I think it might it's be like two... two it's 2.15. 2.15? Yeah. And that, that movie moves incredibly well. And it's kinetic and it's sharp. It's one of the most underappreciated movies in terms of an award nomination this year. Ben, this is going to blow your mind. It is okay. about the same length as my number two movie. <laughs> wow. Weird. Yeah. And the number two movie feels like it is seven hours long. <laughs> you are not wrong there. But that movie's supposed to feel long. Well, that movie's supposed to kind of like drip by. Yeah. yeah. I also think it should get a fucking cinematography nomination. Like that oh, cinematography is stunning. Absolutely. Anytime the scene goes into the into the opal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. those those two know what they're doing. So good. That movie's, I, movie's yeah, fun. these these two after seeing this and after seeing Good Time, these two have bought themselves at least two more movies from me. 
you should check out Heaven Knows What if you can I've find got, it. I have it sitting on my computer. Oh, that's such a good movie. I'm it's a lot. It. It's very hard to get through. It's very bleak. You said it's about heroin addiction, right? It's about heroin addiction. It's about being uh, homeless. All right. No, I'm uh, still going to watch it. Yeah, I like it's very it. good, though. It's very, very good. Uh, well, so Tyler, what would you pair this with? Uh, the Gambler, the James Conn movie. Okay. All right. And who would you recommend this to? Anybody who saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and liked it. I feel like you would get the same enjoyment out of something like this. Really? What an interesting... What an interesting, like, interesting thing to pair it with. Good good pairing, though. Mm. I mean, they're going to be there for, like, five hours. I mean, I wouldn't say watch it right after one another. I would just say, like, if you went to the... If you saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you're like, you yeah. know what? More of that. I feel like you would enjoy Uncut Gems because I feel like they have the same sort of phonetic, stressful. Although Uncut Gems is very stressful. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, that is that is it is definitely a movie where you where you leave the movie theater and you're like, <sighs> yeah, it is that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, also people who like basketball. Oh yeah, well anything is possible. Anything possible. You know what? No, hold on. Before we start the minute, Kevin Garnett fucking crushes it in the Kevin movie. Garnett deserves the best Garnett. supporting actor. I just to have him there standing so tall in the audience, so every time you you need to find him, you can just pick him out. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Anthony Hopkins. It should have been Kevin Garnett. Should have been. Your old white ass. I would love for Kevin Garnett to just do movies and not have to play Kevin Garnett. I would like Kevin Garnett to play Anthony Hopkins in a game of basketball for that oh Oscar nomination. I would love to see him dunk on Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> oh, shit! Looks like I just ate your face! <laughs> just just fucking with him. Anthony Hopkins is like, I'm 80. Please stop yelling at me. Please let me go. Please let me die. <laughs> they brought me back for Westworld. I just want to sit on my couch and watch Breaking Bad. I love that he just seems like an old dad. I, I disagree. I, I disagree. That's the stupidest bet I've ever heard. I disagree. I, I disagree. Disag- the fact that they got that guy, too. Mike Francesca? Yeah, like that fucking... He's like a New York sports writer, right? He's a sports uh, radioist. Yeah, exactly. Radioist? <laughs> and never curses, apparently, so that was like a big thing. Yeah, no, him going, like, that's the stupidest fucking bet I've ever heard. <laughs> people, like, people from New York are like... <gasps> I know. They're like, no, not Mike Francesca. Cover your ears, child. I love that they found Wayne Diamond. Like, ah, oh, who's that guy? Which one's Wayne Diamond? Wayne Diamond's like the old, like, leather-faced man. Oh, the one who's like, I'm gonna go shower, you just hang out in here, I'm expecting some food. Yeah, that's just that, a real dude that they found. That's that's an amazing small performance. That's a guy. Like, also the guy at the sports book, that's just also a dude. I just thought that was, like, some longtime New York character actor that they found. Nope, that's just a, that's just a guy... Benny Safety was like playing craps at three o'clock in the morning in Mohegan Sun and was just like, Do you want to be in a movie? <laughs> I like their casting style. Yeah, no, it's great. People who they find. That gives you about a minute and a half to tell us why Uncut Gems did not get cut from your top 10 in three, two, one, go. I, as a person who has an affinity for movies from the 70s and has affinity for 70s crime movies was pretty in the bag for this idea to begin with. I think Adam Sandler is a tremendous actor, even in movies I don't like. I think the Safdie brothers had a bunch of upper momentum and this just all sort of felt like from everything I was hearing, like this was going to be a home run and it was. 
I love Uncut Gems. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I watch it, the more you know I spend with it. I think it's growing to be like one of my favorite movies. And had I seen it in time for Best of the Decade, it would definitely be in consideration for my decade list. I don't know. I just find it terrific, terrific in every way. We didn't talk nearly enough about Julia Fox's character. She plays Julia. I think that character absolutely rules. I think the movie itself is a condemnation on Adam Sandler's character. I don't know. I could talk about Uncut Gems for much longer than a minute 30. But I think I'll just leave it at that. Uh, if you have not seen Uncut Gems, I implore you, please, please, please do yourself a favor and go watch it. Well, we can move on to my number two, except we can't move on to my number two because it's on someone else's list in a higher capacity. So, Tyler, we're going to move on to your number two. Back to back. I'm going to talk about a long, very long, very slow movie that uses a 3D sequence where you, you put on glasses in the movie theater. I saw it in a movie theater. It was mind-blowing. It's the Bygand film. I swear it has nothing to do with the Eugene Neal O'Neill play. Just for some reason, it's named that. Again, long day's journey into night. <laughs> Yo 他们一定会很疲惫 
身体的每个部位都没得可以依靠的地方。What is the 3D sequence? So the 3D sequence is at the end when he goes into like the old dilapidated movie theater and he puts like the glasses on. Oh. Everything from when he puts the glasses on to the final shot of the movie is in 3D. I'll be danged, but that's cool. And so they give they gave you like 3D glasses and they're like, the the movie started and I'll be like, you'll know when to put the 3D glasses on. <laughs> but like in case you don't, it's when a character puts them on. <laughs> oh, there you go. I love I love that they just had some guy come out and yell that at you from the bottom of the no, steps. They didn't. It, the screen said it. Uh, it's like make sure you have 3D glasses. It's important that you have 3D glasses. Oh my god. Uh, so who's involved in this movie? Chinese director Bai Gan. It's his second feature. He directs. I only have a couple of the people, and I'm going to horribly butcher their names. Tang Wei and Hong Ji. I think Hong Ji is、uh, a man, and he comes back to his hometown of Cali, and f- comes back for his father's funeral, and basically like recalls like his old friend dying and a lost love, and it's sort of about how these things kind of like haunt him, and it is very slow, very art filmy. The movie is. It has a very basic plot. Literally, the Wikipedia plot is like three sentences, but the movie stretches it to make it feel much more lived in and fleshed out. And it's kind of a neo noir.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is very, very, very interesting. I heard about it because it played not the like. The festival of 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 Cannes Film Festival, but it played like as one of the periphery films called Uncertain Regard, which is essentially just like you should watch these, but they're not up for any prizes.、Um, Interesting. Okay. Oh, you saw this in theaters, and I did see this in theaters because it played、oh, in Portland. I, I bet that was fantastic、um, on a big screen, and it was. It's it is awe inspiring on a big screen because this movie, the long time saying for films is every frame is a painting. This you could take any. Shot from this, and it'd be an amazing looking still. Like this movie is beautiful. I mean, I I will not disagree. I will say this too, and this is this is maybe me just not being as committed to certain things as I could be. I find that a foreign film is better seen on a big screen because it's a lot easier to pay attention to,、mm-hmm. and you're kind of forced to sit there and watch it. Now, tell us, he comes back, and I mean, the thing that you didn't tell me about this movie, and If you had told me this, I may have watched it sooner, and it might have actually been good that you didn't. Is this is a this is like a detective movie? This is a noir. Yeah, it's a neo noir. It's also maybe just a dream. It might be. The movie is great. <laughs> I remember like leaving the theater and just being like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's one of those movies where like I could talk about this for hours and also not know anything about it. Swooningly beautiful, with a staggering 59-minute 3D tracking shot that must be seen to be believed.、Mm-hmm. That、it、tracking is, shot's almost an hour. That tracking shot is literally almost an hour. God damn! It's、suck、absolutely on, suck on that Sam Mendes. Incredible. And as as much as I can tell, it's it's most it's not one take because I feel like some of it is CGI. I think it has to be CGI because it's literally impossible. And、mm. I I won't explain what I'm talking about, but yeah, no, that like whole like final sequence, it's all in 3D too. It also did very well in China. Wow,、um, 
which is interesting. Like move, movies like that even don't even do well even in China. But it uh, really, it, huh? It made a hundred million yuan and it was one of the highest grossing box office films in that. It made a hundred million yuan, uh, which is fifteen million U.S. dollars in pre-sale tickets, and ran on to gross f- uh, forty-one million U.S. dollars during its initial three-week. That's uh, pretty good. that's fucking nuts the whole movie he's searching for this woman right like you would say that's that's kind of the yeah yeah like cherche la femme he is like attempting to find her and she's an old love right because like there are parts of this that got lost on me a little bit yeah he is recounting the story i think to another person in their bedroom and I think what you're supposed to kind of understand is like maybe a lot of the story isn't necessarily true or is misremembered or is kind of foggy. And then you get to like the final sequence where like the final sequence is like a dream. Well, now my question is, is the person he's recounting it to played by the same woman? Yes. I that think so. is a, That is an interesting idea. Because um, the whole movie, I'm like, I'm like, he sees that woman. What the fuck? And then I'm like, oh, I get what they're doing here. I think a lot of the, there's like a couple people that play that that play two different roles in the, mm-hmm. and I think that's what they're doing. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what they're doing. And I don't know. The movie is just so good. I want to rewatch it. Actually, <laughs> it is a great movie. So you went to see this in theaters. What was the audience like? The audience was it was a lot of Chinese people, which is dope. And it was a lot of, like, old people, which is also kind of dope. I uh, mean, they, they are the, I, I cannot speak for the Chinese, Chinese audience as a whole, but old people are genuinely pretty respectful during a movie. Pretty respectful. They can also be the opposite of that. Oh, yeah. It's a scene in Hell or High Water where a racist joke is made and a lot of them laughed. And I'm like, ah, such a good time. What's your favorite scene? I gotta say that, that you know, that, like, almost hour-long tracking shot at the end is pretty goddamn good. I have to rewatch that and try to imagine it in 3D. Yeah, imagine the there's like one specific part that's oh. absolutely incredible in 3D. Oh, when that guy's thrusting into the camera, that all makes sense now. Yeah, no, no, no. No, I'm just no. that never happens. When he like just starts fucking levitating, I was like, what the fuck? It's it's a wild movie. It's and it's <laughs> and it's a beautiful. And I'll say this: I actually want to go rewatch this. That might be the highest compliment I can pay this movie. Yeah, good movie. Um, yeah, it is. I it really, really is. I, I feel like I haven't said enough about it, though. There's, yeah, no, we could talk a lot about it. It's like I said, it's very slow. So if you don't have patience, it can be very <laughs> difficult. But I don't know. It just it, like I'm just remembering it. And I was just like, man, I could, I could, I could go and watch that any day of the week. <laughs> you put that on, I'm there. Yeah. Maybe not any day of the week, but like most days of the week. I mean, you are a guy who can like sit down and watch one of these movies without problem. I, I give you hats off for that. Not I mean, there's sometimes where I'm just like, I want to watch, I want to watch some people get eaten by other people. Yeah, yeah, you have a you have a real I like zombies. We, we know you do, buddy. We know you do. Uh, what would you pair this with? That's a I've been dreading this question because I I have one actually. Uh, what do you have? Ashes purest white. You know what? I was, I was going to be like, well, I could always take the easy way out and say Ashes, Pierce, White. Plus they uh, rhyme, and it looks great on a billboard together. That would actually look really great on a billboard. No, boy, the people you'd get for that, it'd be me and a couple other people. It'd be me and a clone that I've been making of me. <laughs> you could also do, I think one that you could do, which might get some people, is the Tartoski film Stalker. 
I don't know that one. What's that about? You've never seen Stalker? I mean, I just said I don't know what that's about. What ben, oh, it's about, it's like a post-apocalyptic film. Interesting. Do you know Tarkovsky? Solaris? I, I know Sol- of him. I've never actually seen anything by him. He's a major right. blind spot. Well, we're going to have to fix that. Because Stalker slaps. Everyone knows it slaps. It's basically like people going into the zone. And the zone is like like this place where like apparently like aliens landed and you kind of like go in and you try to like smuggle alien artifacts out. But the thing is, it's like it kind of fucks with your head and your surroundings. And it's a very beautiful movie, uh, very long. And I feel like it would kind of fit with Bygone's style. So I feel like he kind of that's kind of like what he does is like a lot of the like long, beautiful shots that take place in like really beautiful locales that are also kind of grungy and dirty. So yeah, I feel like Stalker would be a good one. You could also do his 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 first movie, uh, Cali Blues. Hmm. Okay. And this is this is Bygone's first movie. Yeah, Bygone. It- Cali Blues, 2015. Interesting. Cali Blues. What an interesting name. Well, it's, um, it's based off of Cali City in China. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. I had no idea. Who would you recommend this to? <sighs> Art film buffs, yeah. people who are trying to get into Chinese slow cinema, <laughs> 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 which is a there's a steep overlap. I, I look for, I look forward to that clone of yours getting recommended this movie. <laughs> yeah, people who maybe who were trying to get into like art movies are trying to get into like maybe Chinese cinema a little bit. You could I don't know. This feels like a little bit. This is you know the, this this part of the swimming pool is deep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's really a is. that's a be insulting. I don't mean to be like, oh, I'm such like a film fan, but I'm like this to people who aren't like who aren't equipped to understand it. Might uh, you're not qualified, dear. Would, would probably not like it. Yeah, it's it's a movie that you need to have patience with, and if you're not ready to read something, I you know it was great. We had people over last night, and I had this little come to Jesus with the wife like afterwards because she did not watch Parasite with us, and I said I would have loved for you to come watch it. You know, it's my favorite movie of the year. She said, Ben, in all honesty, movies like this are something I have to absolutely be in the mood for. And she said, I promise you, in like six months, I'm gonna be at home one day. And it's going to be on it's going to be on one of the streaming things. And she's going to say, you know what? I'm ready for it. She says, it looks like something I want. I, the plot sounds interesting. She goes, I'm just not in the mood for it. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And that's that's how you got to kind of, I think, be with foreign movies. I think you have yeah. to be in the right frame of mind to be able to sit down and say, I'm not only going to watch something. I'm also going to read something for the next two and a half hours. This movie specifically, because it's like, I'm ready to watch this very slow, dreamlike Chinese film that is two hours and 15 minutes and has a like hour-long tracking shot that is equally as slow as the rest of the movie and was originally shown in 3D and I'll have to watch it in 2D in a format that it's not really capable for. And on top of that... It is an art film and everything is very obtuse. So like if you're into all of what I just said, have at it. And that's your minute and a half right there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I would tell people to go see this. I I think it's a very interesting movie. And I mean, even even movies that you might not enjoy, if you can get something out of a movie, I think that's a triumph in itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with this and especially with like Ashes Pierce White and some of the other like slower Chinese movies I talk about, give yourself over to like the first 30 minutes. And if you if you're like I can't do it, 
that's fine. Paul Ripcord. But I think with this movie, I think you'll get something out of it if you stick with it. And I think that should be almost, I think, I honestly think almost every movie should be given 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just mean like specifically, like if you, if oh, yeah. you're like, that sounds interesting, give yourself the first 30 minutes. I'm sure this movie will pull you in because it's all mystery and you'll be like, okay, I, I'll, I need to see where this goes give yourself the first 30 minutes like try and dig into it because it it takes you some some corridors that are really interesting well that does leave you your minute and a half three two one go i love this movie i realize it's not everybody's cup of tea i'm very happy that my girlfriend went to go see it and loved it as much as i did it's kind of like ashes pierce white so if you watched ashes pierce white because my best of the decade list and you're like you know what more of whatever that is you will absolutely fit into this like a glove. It's very similar, very slow, very patient drama. But this movie is much more in the vein of like dream logic, like magical realism type stuff. And if you're capable to handle a slow Chinese film where like the average shot length is like three or four minutes long (laughs) and it's a lot of people talking and being sad and looking sad and there's kind of a central mystery and yes it's very noirish but it's also extremely slow then go at it i think this movie's great i think it's you know a pretty easy introduction into the type of chinese films that have been being made for the last couple of decades especially in like the art space stuff you know like the hole and stray dogs and ashes pierce white and 24 city stuff like that that this, they've developed this kind of cinematic language in China that I think is mesmerizing to me. And I've been meaning to kind of dig myself deeply into it, and I think this is a pretty good place to start. Thank you. That was, that was cute. I see what you did there. Well, that takes us on to my number one, I guess. And guys, just to give you a heads up, Parasite will not be on this list. It was my best of the decade. It has transcended my number one spot. So that's not going to be on there. You're not going to hear us talk about Parasite again. So my number one, Tarantino's snapshot of 60s Hollywood, a best of the year contender for sure, with two amazing leads in Pitt and DiCaprio as two sides of the same performance. If truly Tarantino's penultimate film, I'm truly glad he got to write his love letter to cinema. This is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. One dollar. To my wife and all my sweethearts, may they never meet. Senor Madrid, you care to join me at my table where I entertain my guests? I'd be delighted, Monsieur de Cactu. Take the bottle with you. So, Johnny. What brings you to Royo Del Oro? Oh, you know me, Caleb. Money. Who's paying you around here? I hope you. Huh. And what have you heard about me? I heard about the Lancer Ranch. All the cattle you've appropriated. A lot of land, a lot of cows, a lot of money, no law to speak of, and nothing but an old man some Mexican ranch hands to shoe y'all. Hey, where's that chili pepper daughter of yours with the fiddle? She's asleep. 
Wake her the heck up, get her down here with her fiddle and her bow, and entertain my guests. Si, senor. But please, don't hurt her this time, huh? I ain't gonna hurt her. I just want her to play the fiddle. Line, go, go, go fetch her and tell her what? Go fetch her and tell her I'll give her a fat $5 gold right, piece. Right, right. Go play. fetch her and tell her I'll give her a fat, fat, five, fat $5 gold piece. She play her little chili pepper heart out, right? Right. Got it. <clears throat> I ain't gonna hurt her. I just want her to play the fiddle. Now go fetch her and tell her I'll give her a fat $5 gold piece. She play her little chili pepper heart out. Go! So, Johnny, what else you heard? Hmm? I heard you pushing Lancer pretty hard, but Lancer's got money. At some point, he's gonna hire some guns and push back. Line, 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 line. Maybe he already has. <clears throat> Maybe he God damn it, I fucked this whole thing up, Sam. I did. I fucked this whole thing up. Can we just go back? Please, can we just cut? Can we just cut? No, really. Just no, really. Really, Sam, Sam please. God. Maybe damn. he already has. All right. All right. Maybe he already has. God damn it. All right. All right. All right. Woo. Goddamn outlaw, Rick. Come on now. <clears throat> I got it. Go back a bit, would you? No, he's right. Back to one. <laughs> use all that. Thing. I'm gonna use, use it. it. Oh, I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna roll inside. Uh huh. I'm use it. <laughs> and I heard you're pushing Lancer pretty hard, but Lancer has got money. At some point, he's gonna hire some guns. Push back. Maybe he already has. Maybe. Maybe I don't like Lancer. Maybe I don't like his boots. Maybe I don't like the way he uses those boots to step on people. Drinking all night. Fucking drinking again. Eight goddamn fucking whiskey sours. <sighs> fucking bullshit. <laughs> You're a fucking miserable drunk. You're fucking remembering your fucking lines. I practiced them and now I don't look like I goddamn practiced them. You're sitting there like a fucking baboon. <laughs> eight fucking whiskey sours. I couldn't stop at fucking three or four. Eight. Why? You're a fucking alcoholic. You fucking drink too much, huh? Every fucking night, every fucking night. That's it. That's fucking it. That's fucking it. You stop drinking right now, all right? Make a promise to yourself you're gonna stop fucking drinking. Oh, fucking. Oh, fucking. God! Look at that little fucking girl. 
You're going to show that goddamn Jim Stacy. You're going to show all of them on that goddamn fucking set who the fuck Rick Dalton is. All right? Let me tell you something. You don't get these lines right. I'm going to blow your fucking brains out tonight. All right? Your brains are going to be splattered all over your goddamn pool. I mean it, motherfucker. I rewatched like sections of this the other day. Did you get to see it on the big screen again on 35? I just, I didn't. Again, didn't go. Ah, for sure. For sure. Uh, Anybody for fried sauerkraut? <laughs> Six. God, God. And what is it? It's that's, eight that's, goddamn whiskey. That's, that's where we're coming in from. That's the scene we're coming in. <laughs> You're a goddamn alcoholic, Rick. If you don't get these lines out, I'm going to blow your brains out all the pools, man. I could have had one or two or three. No, goddamn eight goddamn whiskey sours. I practiced the lines now. It doesn't look like I fucking practiced them. I'm, I'm stammering like a gorilla. Oh my god. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. This is a fucking amazing movie. I'm sure there are things you can find problematic about. Fucking gives a shit. This might be, I, I'll tell you this. I'm willing to discuss pulling something off of our Mount Rushmore to put this on. This is the most watched movie on my list. I've probably seen this movie four to five times now. I mean, I'm willing to pull something off if you're willing. To, I mean, but I'm not willing to pull off. <laughs> you better better, better phrase your words right. What you're pulling off of Mount Rushmore here. Let's just say it rhymes with khaki brown. Uh, no, I'm just <laughs> son of a bitch. No. I'm false moving you're dead, man. <laughs> I'll kill khaki brown right now. No, in all honesty, like, what do we have? What's our four? Because Kill Bill's at three, Pulp Fiction's at one, Jackie Brown's at two. What's four? Was it Inglorious? Yeah, you know what? I'd be willing to pull Kill Bill off for this because I want to keep Inglorious on there. Yeah. I yeah. I would put this at number four and I would move Inglorious up to number three. Actually, no, I want this at number three. This is an incredible movie. Because this might I... this, this might be his crowning. Yeah, no. I, I, I'm very worried that he actually does uh, quit at 10. I don't think he will. Let's hope not. Uh, if so, he just makes TV for the rest of his career like Bergman did. <laughs> that's, that's fine. If he wants to make long-form storytelling and he writes and directs it, awesome. Okay, when did you first see this movie? I mean, I saw this opening. I can tell you the. I can tell you everything that happened that day. I woke up. I went to the Park Lane Theater. We were in like the one of the biggest theaters. I sat between my father and my friend Nathan. When we got out, it was pouring rain, and it was. I mean, it was legitimately. This I'll say this. You ask who I, I will skip to this right now. You ask who I should who I recommend this to. Mm. I recommend this to seeing this with a friend. This is a this is a buddy comedy. Yeah. And I saw this with two of my best friends. I saw this with my dad, and I saw this with my best friend Nathan. Like, this is the perfect movie to go see with friends. And it, it was it was magical. This movie's like two hours and forty minutes, and it moves by like that. Yeah. No, it really moves. Oh my god, it's so good. And it's a movie about a guy named Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And if you really want to make me happy and, like, fuck over the Joker, that's the performance I would like to see win. And he has a best friend named Cliff, played by Brad Pitt, who is his stunt double. And Rick is a fading cowboy TV star. And the movie is kind of about these two men coming to the end of both career and friendship in a way. And it's also a movie about 60s cinema and how the ending of 60s cinema kind of comes to an end. Mm -hmm. 
real quick, I'm, I want to talk about that a little bit. I, I just, you made me think of, I've been watching a lot of this YouTube channel called Be Kind Rewind that's like examining a lot of the like best Oscar for best actress Oscar winners throughout the mm-hmm. years. And they talked about one, and I forget which one it was, but they were talking about one where it was, you had a clear front runner, but someone came in and like leapfrogged her to win. And it was like a big shocker. I forget which one it was. And the theory that's been posited is that all of the voters were like, everybody else is going to vote for her. So I'm going to vote for this performance because I really like this performance. And then that happened enough times to where that person just sort of leapfrogged the other person into winning. Oh, wow. I could see that happening to Joaquin where it's just like, people are like, it's not actually that good of a performance, but you know, people are going to vote for him. People are going to vote for him. I'm going to vote for the performance I actually like. That would be interesting if that happened. Boy, would I laugh. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you. It's, oh my God, I mean, even the stuff that people found controversial about this film, I'm like, it still can't ruin it. I I understand that people don't like the Bruce Lee scene and like people might think it's a little disrespectful. But once again, you have to remember who's remembering that scene. He's an unreliable narrator. For all we know, that's not how it went down. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah, and I absolutely adore that sequence. God, just the way they built the tension in that to where it finally just de-escalates with them just getting in this fight. How was your audience's reaction to it? Uh, our, my audience loved it because we oh. were seeing it on a pristine, like third time ever shown, probably Ooh. fourth time, considering the, the people who got it probably had to run it first, uh, like 35 millimeter print. Yeah, I can it imagine was, I think it was the Friday it came out. I was at like the second or third showing. So it had one full day plus like ours was the first showing. So it had like one full day plus like, I guess the test run, I'd assume. So like it was like the fourth time it was ever shown. Not that have, that matters. Have you but. seen it? No, it does. Because if you fuck up a print of 35 millimeter, that can really alter the way that film looks. <laughs> Trust me, as a guy who had ran 35 millimeter for years, that shit will fuck up. How will it fuck up? I want to know. Well, if you, so, how to explain this? No, no, I know you will. So did you ever see the stampers at work that, like, stamped our shirts? Yeah, yeah. So you run film through those the way you run that, you run the paper through those. And unlike the stamping thing, if you don't have it perfectly put in there the way it is, if you don't have the little loop that goes through at the right height and everything, it can bang against something. You know how you see green lines on 35 millimeter? That's oh, yeah, all the time. That's what that's from. Ah. Uh, yep. So all those old prints, like like one surviving print of this movie that have like all the green line, that was someone like being like, whoopsies. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, I will, t- I will tell you, I will give you an example. I was dating a girl who was also working upstairs at the theater at one point, and we had just finished hanging out at her house, and I got a phone call from my boss who didn't know we were dating. He said, hey, uh, this girl's not allowed up in Booth anymore. Uh, day one, she scratched the secret life of bees. There's a giant green line going down it. And I was just like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Um, we should maybe order another one. He goes, yeah, I think I'm going to have to. But she's not allowed up there. I hung up the phone. And I, she was coming out of the bathroom. She's like, hey, what was that about? I'm like, oh, nothing. He was just telling me we need to order more stuff for inventory. Like, it was like, yeah, you fucked up secret life of bees. Is that a movie people were, like, clamoring for, The Secret Life of Bees? No, that's a movie that did really, really well, and nobody ah. was happy. There was a giant fucking green line going down the center of it. <laughs> like, for 40 minutes. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't like it was off to the side. It was, like, yeah, heavy. So, um, when I see a green line, it's, like, for, like, a couple of, for like maybe, like, a couple of frames. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, 
this movie stars Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. Uh, and uh, Robbie. Yes, yes. By the way, you want to talk about a movie she should be nominated for. Oh my god, yeah. She's sure. wonder she's wonderful in this. She's the whole point of the movie, ladies and gentlemen. It's really true. Like people who say Tarantino doesn't know how to write female dialogue and doesn't know how to write for females, rewatch this movie. Everything she does where she's not speaking is amazingly important. I love the moment where she's just in the car. And she's just like listening to the radio. She's just singing along. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's amazing in this movie. She's so sweet. You want to protect her from the minute you see her. Like, you know what that character is going to be, what is going to happen to that character, and you don't want that to happen because you're so on her side. I think what's so important about that movie is that it it recontextualizes her as a human being and not, like, this tragic figure that had this horrible thing happen to her who was, like, cut down on the prime of her life, but instead, like, a human being that was living on this planet that, like, had dreams and had goals and had, like, a life. And who snored. Yeah, and I think that movie, is like, by capturing, like, all of these small things, like, her not talking, like, her just, like, going to see her own movie and her, like, living a life, you, you get this, like, sense mm-hmm. of, like, who she is as a person without it being this, like, maudlin performance of that person by someone else. It's more of just, like, these small things that happened in her, like, that could have happened in her life. I don't know. I really love that performance. I love that aspect of the movie a lot. No, I, I do not disagree with you. I absolutely adore, like, how they take her and they humanize her. And, I mean, if you haven't seen the end of this movie, guys, like, you weirdly get to see, like, a better version of it. I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. Have you, like, if you rewatch the trailer for this movie, there's a shot in the trailer that is nowhere in the movie, and I think it's meant to completely fool you about what the ending of this movie is. Yeah, what's the shot in the trailer? The shot in the trailer appears like something is being thrown in the air, and she's running to try to catch it. Hmm. And it's it's not in the movie at all. Like, I, on- the trailer. I honestly believe they put that in there to make you like be like, oh, this is where it all goes down. And, like, make you think this is what's going to happen. Because, guys, if you don't know this, this movie is a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And it's a movie about what I think Tarantino wishes would have happened as opposed to what actually did happen. Because this involves the Manson family. And I'll I'll tell you, man, maybe the most interesting version of the Manson family I've Mm -hmm. ever seen. Plays them as real idiots, which they kind of are. They are dumb, stupid hippies who got duped by a guy who's just slightly smarter than them. By the way... I have watched all the deleted scenes on the, on this movie. I don't know if you have or not. I might do that later. Most of them, I would say you don't need to keep anything in. I think this movie actually, I always love to look at deleted scenes to say what would have really worked in there. The scene that I would have kept in is right after Manson talks the two people, he walks away. If you watch, he doesn't walk back down to his car. He walks around. He goes to the back house of where Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski are staying, the person who's renting it to them. And he says to him, like, hey, is the guy, like, from the Beach Boys here? And he goes, no. And he goes, don't don't bother my, my people who rent my house anymore. Like, he has, like, kind of this weird exchange. He walks back down to his ice cream truck, and Cliff is still on the roof. And Manson turns back around and looks at Cliff, Cliff and he waves. But Cliff doesn't wave back. He just kind of looks at him. And then Charlie goes into full Manson mode. He goes, whoop, zip, zap, zip, zoop. He goes, fuck you, motherfucker. And, like, gets back in his car and drive off. It then cuts back to Cliff, and Cliff goes, what the hell was that? 
It's one of my favorite, like, small deliveries from Ben. He goes, what the hell was that? I think by losing that, though, you just get the shadow of a man instead of, like, oh, Charles Manson is a crazy person. Like, instead yeah. you get this, like, you get this, like, shadow figure who killed the 60s. <laughs> I love Manson not speaking. It's, like, I think that's actually, like, the kind of genius. So yeah. to hear that he originally was supposed to have, like, a small speaking part, I'm like, eh, kind of. He really, he just flips out, kind of. But still, I like that they cut that. I, I agree. I don't disagree with you. What would that be weird to see, though? Yeah. You're, you're, I think, that, that's literally the line, I think. Let's see. What was what was it, though? I mean, th- this movie is just, it's so watchable. And it's so rewatchable. Mm-hmm. Like, even the first time you watch it, like, you kind of want to go back in. And despite it being almost three hours, you want to kind of live in this world a little bit longer. Like, cause you're just, you're so happy with all these characters, even the worst character you're still fascinated by. I also think I love how, I love how much work they did to make the sixties come back alive. Like it, it feels like a movie that was shot in 1969, not a movie that I mean, takes place I mean, in he painstakingly made it look like 1969. Everybody on set wore period-appropriate clothing. Uh, he apparently banned cell phones from set. Smart. Well, not really, but, you know, I'm sure, like, the lighting guy was like, fucking goddammit, we're gonna be here for 15 hours, I'm gonna fucking cell phone. Hey, hey, look, it looks great. That dude deserves a cinematography award. No, I'm not like not like the cinematographer. I mean, the lighting guy. Oh yeah, that guy too. That guy also deserves an award. Let Let me ask you this: not counting Pitt, Robbie, or DiCaprio, who is your favorite performance in the movie? Because I have this same question for your number one. I love is it Margaret Margaret uh, Quinley Quiddley? And now, who is she in it? She plays the hitchhiker. Oh, the one that Pitt finally picks up. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just love her performances. Like I don't know. I just love her performance. Can we can we agree maybe the funniest moment of the movie is where uh, Margaret Margaret Qualley she is Qualley. the daughter of someone Gina Davis shot in the dark is it Gina Davis Andy McDowell fuck close though look <laughs> ballpark <laughs> what's that it's a ballpark yeah you you got there like it was, a, it was a... Gina Davis <laughs> oh sorry oh. it was Andy McDowell. God, Emile Hirsch getting, like, fourth billing. Weird. My point being is, I, I agree with you. I think she might be the funniest scene in the movie that, it, just one of the funniest scenes, is where it's the fight. Like, he passes by her three times, and he can never seem to give her a ride. The third time when he can finally give her a ride, when she's all excited, and then that cop car pulls around the corner, and she just screams, fuck you, you fucking pigs, and just cuts back to Brad Pitt. He goes, oh, no. Like, uh... just realizes, I'm in so much trouble right now. <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> Not even I'm in danger. No, no, no. Nobody at that ranch could have handled Cliff Booth. Like, I, I fully believe he could have beaten all of those people. Well, he beats all of them a high on acid, so. That's true. Yeah, so sober. Which also makes me ask the question, did it actually happen? Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah I think I think it did. Yeah, me too. I mean, because if it because if it didn't, then that means the maybe the greatest line ever delivered by Leonardo DiCaprio is invalid, and I can't have that. Which is the line where Emil Hirsch goes, "Is everybody okay?" Well, the fucking hippies aren't. That that's for goddamn sure. <laughs> I lit her ass up with a flamethrower from the Five Fists of McCluskey. Yeah, it's 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 a fucking wonderful movie, and I will say this. 
This is a movie that in a world where there is that really scary potential of 1917 being best picture, this is the one we're all going to be okay with. No one's going to be mad Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 1. This is a really solid, fun movie that we all liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Like, social media is going to melt down, but fuck off. They can fuck off as far as I'm concerned. Like, I, would, I want it for just for the fucking meltdown. Yeah, get get the coronavirus social media. I don't give a fuck about any of you. I mean, this I'm waiting for the social media 1917 meltdown, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Nobody seems to hate that movie. I do. Well, outside of you and me, like that's that's different. <laughs> I want to take a want to take a baseball bat to the back. I want to go fucking untouchables on that movie. <laughs> Boy, he's really beating the shit out of 1917. Yeah, I mean, like he it is clearly dead. <laughs> wow, man, I didn't know didn't know Robert De Niro who put that much torque into the 1917. Bruce Dern and Dakota Fanning are also two of my favorite performances. Oh, right, Dakota Fanning's in it. Oh, Mr. Eight Years Ago, George is blind. You also might have to wake him up. I fucked his brains out. She is so gross in that movie. She's gross. She's doing a real uh, Charlize Theron and monster performance. We used to work together, George. Is Squeaky the little redhead? What part have I just told you I'm fucking blind? Don't you understand? Uh, that was supposed to be... Um, who was it again? Who was that supposed to be? That was supposed to be Burt Reynolds. Oh, oh. That would have been very sad. Well, yeah, I mean, it was at the end. He tried to get him. He really wanted to work with Burt Reynolds once, but it just never worked out. Well, we'll always have Boogie Nights. Yes, yes, we will. That's not a Tarantino movie. I don't know what you're getting at. Oh, I mean, we'll just always have Boogie Nights. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's the... Well, what? I understand it's not a Tarantino movie. I'm just going to say we always will have Boogie Nights. I feel like this is just something here. Oh, and you know what? Al Pacino, for four minutes, really strong. Ah, the movies with the guns and the killing, you know. I love them. And you know what? Damian Lewis is Steve McQueen. That scene alone is so fun. God, when Al Pacino does the has the line about um, showing, this is like six hundred feet of film. I was like, that's the most cinephile, like the most like shitty. I have a, (laughs) I project movies at my home (laughs) line I've ever heard. And after she went to bed, I put on the 13 fists of McCluskey. I opened up a Havana. I pulled myself some cognac. What a picture. Uh, that was you with the flamethrower. <laughs> Just the machine gun noise he makes. Goes, oh, I love him. <laughs> I love when they cut to Rick using the flamethrower. He goes, is there any way we can make this color? He goes, it's a flamethrower, Rick. My favorite thing was when the movie came out, people were like publishing like, these are the movies that you should catch up on before you watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I watched one of them because it was on YouTube. And you could just watch it for free. I can't exactly what it was, the name of it. But it's directed by the guy who was the director of the quote-unquote like Nebraska Kid movie that Leonardo DiCaprio stars in. Oh, okay. Who is most famous for another... Uh, most famous for like The Great Silence, uh, a couple mm. other spaghetti westerns. He directed a, a like Poliziotecca like chase through the streets of Italy movie, and they superimpose Leonardo DiCaprio's face into one of the shots uh, of that movie. Interesting. <laughs> I was like, I had no oh, idea. Fuck, I know this movie. <laughs> I've seen this movie. I was like, I saw this movie two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, that's great. What is your favorite scene? I do. I love the Al Pacino scene at the beginning. Oh, that I love the Al Pacino scene and the of course because I always quote it the eight goddamn whiskey sours. Uh, Rick Dalton in his trailer scene. And I will say you can't even use that scene. 
you can't even use that scene without tagging it up with the scene that follows where he gives like the greatest performance of all time. I that and I also love when they're shooting like the TV show and they're having the like they're like doing the camera movements and then he'll like he'll fuck up a line and the camera line like, back and yeah. it's like acting 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 again fucks up camera moves back to point one. Come on, Rick, um, you got this. You're a goddamn cowboy, Rick. Woo! All that shit. The, just the, all the sequence of Rick at the at the TV show. The like, scene between the him show. and the girl before they start shooting is just, oh, so good. Him in the scene with the girl after he, like, when the girl's like, that's some of the best, that's the best acting I've ever seen. And he, like, starts, like, he, like, holds the gun up and he, like, starts crying. Yeah. Oh, so good. And, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to say best scene, if you're going with DiCaprio, for Cliff Booth, I... I just love anytime, like Cliff Booth is just kind of like doing Cliff Booth things. Like someone on Reddit was like, "Why is Brad Pitt winning all these awards for essentially playing himself?" I'm like, "You're not getting it. The performance isn't himself. The performance is making you like a guy who might have killed his wife. Like they kind of make you forget that by the two and a half hour mark. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Look, yeah, he may have killed his wife, but Cliff's a really nice guy." Or is he? I, it's or- hard to say. Is this a person who is trapped in a masculine field who only knows violence? Yeah, that's very true. I'd like to say he's a good guy. He loves that dog to death. He loves that dog to death, but he also might have killed his wife. Yeah, it sounds like she was being a real, real, uh, real. You know what, Ben? Things. You don't want to go down this road. What? What? She was being a real. See you next Tuesday. She you was. Don't want to go down this road. Look, that is I'm not, not a... saying it's. I'm not saying it's right. He killed his wife. I'm not saying that. But I'm also saying that they do a really nice job of getting you on his side. You shouldn't be on his side. I think that's the point of the movie is that he and Leonardo DiCaprio and a lot of these dudes are maybe not the great people that we think they are. Oh, no, no. It's it's about separating myth from reality. Yeah. And yeah. also that, like, I just love the idea of, like, but, like, Rick Booth was, like, this guy who, like, once was so close to having it and ended up becoming, like, one of those guys in those, like, like kind of B movies that, like, maybe some of them get ported to Blu-ray and, like, you would only know his name if you, like, watched, like, a bunch of 60s movies. I still like the idea of a movie about that guy. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Yeah, no, I absolutely know what you mean. What would you, what would you pair this with? <sighs> I have, now I have to figure out what the movie is. How about you, you say what you pair it with and then I'll look for the movie that I saw him cut in with. With him, with him as a filmmaker being so good as he is, I always want to pair something with like filmmakers I really beloved with something else they've done. I honestly would probably pair this with maybe like you know what I pair this with Inglorious Bastards because it has like it has the idea of filmmaking mixed in with a bigger plot, and I love a movie that does that. I love a movie that's kind of about a movie without it being about a movie, and that's kind of what this is. And I, yeah, I, I would say Inglourious Bastards. Make it a Brad Pitt and a Tarantino double feature. Sorry, I'm still looking on my end. No, you're good. You're good. Oh, no, it is Sergio Cabucci. Okay. Did you see they put out a small documentary about this movie? They did? Yeah, Surprise Once Upon a Time in Hollywood documentary. It's just about, like, Tarantino's process. You could pair it with... The movie's called Moving Target. A.K.A. Okay. Death on the Run. Okay. Yeah. That, do that one. It stars, Ty, it stars Ty Harden, who was a big inspiration on Tarantino when he made, was making this movie. Because he wanted to make a movie about that type of guy. Huh. Interesting. Um, and if you look at the biography of Ty Harden, it makes a lot of sense. Like He was on a Western show for a few years called Bronco. He graduated to doing 
pretty standard, boring movies in the 60s, like like the movie I just mentioned, Moving Target. Or do uh, you go to Rome and make westerns? Yeah, he does. Uh, oh, he does Berserk with Jim Crawford. That's a weird mm. movie. He does okay. a lot of pretty... Like, I think another one that they use, they might have pulled from is a movie called Holy Water Joe, which is an Italian spaghetti... Well, an Italian spaghetti western. That's a... That's a that's being redundant, but yeah. Okay. So yeah, moving and who, target. And who would you recommend it to? Uh, anybody who's who likes old movies. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Someone who wants to go back to a, a better time. People who like but, dumb movies. Where the hippies knew their place. Which was at a ranch in the middle of nowhere. And just plotting against all of us. I would recommend it to a friend. I would say, hey, you're my buddy. You should see this. This is a movie about friends. Yes, um, and nothing else. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you know. It's a movie about, that movie has a lot of ideas. Oh, yeah, and a lot of them work, and very few of them don't. I'm ready for the minute and a half whenever you are. All right. Three, two, one. I absolutely adore Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think this is one of my favorite movies of the year outside of another movie which made it to my decade list. This is my favorite movie of the year. This was my favorite movie of the year for a long time. I just love how this movie makes me happy. And this movie makes me happy in a way that very few movies can because Tarantino is a guy who every time I do a trust fall into one of his movies, I know someone's going to catch me because the guy knows how to make a movie that makes me happy. And the guy also makes a movie that's going to also entertain and make me think. And the dude loves movies. And I love that he finally got to make a movie about movies and a movie about movies from the time he loves movies. And not only that, he's a guy who wants to show that like, just because we're in a modern age and we have modern movies, we can't forget where movies came from. And that's what this movie is. This movie is showing like, Hey, you should check out movies like the wrecking crew. You should check out actors who were like Rick Dalton, who may have faded away and give them another chance because they brought something at the time. And we can't forget about people from this time because these people were the hallmarks and built a foundation of movies that are still being done today and being aped and being shown away. I think this movie is absolutely beautiful. I love it. I think this movie should win best director. I, I mean, I think it's the most hopeful choice in some ways. And I really want to see Tarantino finally get the accolades he deserves for a movie that honestly Hollywood should recognize because Hollywood loves one thing. It's Hollywood. And this is one of the best examples of it in a long time. Once upon a time in Hollywood, my number one movie. I absolutely adore it. Nice. Just under the wire there. Yeah get to your number one and everyone was like well he didn't have a number two it's my number two yes de niro pacino pesci i heard you paint houses on netflix what are you doing in delaware Bombing out a laundry place. I was just doing a job to make some extra money. Putting this place out of action. Putting this, putting this place out of commission. For who? Now's not the time to not say. Um, whispers. The other whispers. 
You know who owns the Cadillac linen service? Some Jews in the laundry business. That's what they told me. They own a part of it. Somebody else got an interest in that. You know who? No. I do. Who? No, I do. I own the other part. Not I know somebody who owns the other part. Angelo, I didn't know you had any part of it. I would never have done what I did if I knew you were involved. I didn't know. I would never, never do that against you. Whispers didn't tell you it was Jew mob. No, I said Jew washerwomen. Jew washerwomen. What else he say? I bet he said keep it to yourself. Don't say nothing to nobody downtown. He did. I didn't check. I'm sorry, I should have checked. Can I give him his money back? He won't need it. You can keep it. I don't want no trouble. I just give it back to him and I'm, I'm okay. He won't need it. Okay, thanks. Thank Russell. I wouldn't have wasted my time if I let the Jew mob have you. You got a good friend here. You don't know how good a friend you got. Well, I, I know. No, you don't know. Just still won't let it go, will you? Use to call it the Irishman at this point. Hey, it's me, the Irishman. It's like, why do you sound it down? He's like, shut up, you. Shut up your face. <laughs> um, well, you said everyone who's involved in it, and it's a Martin Scorsese movie. We have talked about this movie before, but... We talked about this movie for like an hour before, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it got trimmed down to about 45 minutes, but yeah. Right. This is, yeah, we're gonna, I mean, and I'll tell you this, upon seeing it now, how many times have you seen this movie now? Uh, twice. And I'm going to watch it a third time with my girlfriend. I've seen it three as well, and I got to say, man, I can, I totally understand why this is your number one movie. Right fucking slaps <laughs> yeah it's my number two once upon a time had the had the, the only thing once upon a time had that put it over the edge was like oh it's a tarantino movie it's gonna be really hard not to be number one for ben <laughs> oh, i wasn't expecting to love this movie as much as i did i was like kind of excited i was like oh yeah it'll be like this long movie i could just watch it in the theaters that's pretty sweet and then like the first like the opening shot happened and i was like i am in the bag like <laughs> Like, yeah, that opening shot happened, and I was like, we in, we in here. I'll see the rest of you fuckers in, t- in three hours and 39 minutes, because uh, <laughs> I'll be here. <laughs> yeah, this movie, this movie's great. Yeah, yeah. Who, let me ask you, I said this about Once Upon a Time, since you can't pick Pesci, um, Pacino, or De Niro, who is your favorite performance outside of those three? Uh, I mean, Ray Romano gives a hell of a performance. You That's also have, kind of who I was thinking, too. You also have Stephen Graham as uh, Tony Pro. He's great, too. Uh, yeah, Harvey Cattell. I think it, it has to be between those two. Uh, I don't know. Harvey Cattell also gives a really good performance in his so short amount of screen time. Like four minutes. And I mean, even, like, even, yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah, Anna Paquin gives a great performance. Like, everybody in this movie is... Dude, I want to apologize to you. I have finally come around on the Anna Paquin thing. 
I was like vehemently like, no, 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 no. Like the, that's yeah, oh, the point. Oh yeah, there, there is, there is a real contentious moment on our Irishman episode. Everyone, you should go listen to it if you haven't. Where I'm like, no, Anna Paquin sucks. You're like, no, no, no. She's the whole fucking movie. I'm like, no, she's not. You're absolutely right. She is the punishment. Yeah. Yeah. The scene, the scene where, where she says to him, "Why, why," <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is the death of a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You get it from, like, the very beginning, like, the moment where he, like, tells her to go back home and then, like, walks around the corner and then <laughs> fucks up that that uh, that uh store clerk and just, like, fucking breaks his arm. Oh, no, no, he doesn't tell her to go back home. She sees the whole thing. Well, no, 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 he tells her, like, go home. You don't want to see this. Oh, like, does he? I don't yeah, even Yeah, he's like, that. you go back home. That's why she, he leaves her, like, at that corner, and that's why it's shot that way. Oh. it's shot that way, not to, like, hide the fact that, like, De Niro clearly can't believably beat the shit out of this person, but to show you that she sees it. Like, she sees him doing that. Okay. There are so many scenes upon third viewing and second viewing that I have picked up on more so. The one I want to talk to you about, because I don't, I mean, like, I mean, we can go through all the questions quickly, but I feel this is more of us just like, wow, the second and third time we've really gotten more out of this. <laughs> I mean, I saw this at home on Netflix the night after, or the night of Thanksgiving. It was just a wonderful experience. I just comfortably watched it on the couch, like drunk off of turkey. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is so good. By the way, Netflix, please put out a movie of this quality every time at Thanksgiving. That is my note. And also, thank you for working with Criterion Collection to make sure I have this eventually. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to own this. Oh, yeah. I'm going to buy this like shit. Like, immediately. You know, you know what? Here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to do it. You and I are going to buy it. We're going to buy it for each other. That way, our, our ladies can't get mad at us for buying a no, useless it's a thing. Gift. It's a belated birthday present. I'm like, no, this is, this is a gift for Tyler. Like, this, this is his birthday gift. And she'll be like, why did you get a copy? I'm like, he bought me it for my birthday. We have the same taste. Isn't that great? <laughs> this is my. This is what I used to do whenever every every Christmas, me and two friends would go to a would go and we would buy a movie we all wanted. We would walk outside, hand it one to the left, and then just go on our way. I uh, love loopholes. Yeah, it was the annual gift-giving extravaganza of awesomeness. So yeah, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro in a Martin Scorsese movie. Who would have thought we'd ever get this again? I didn't really want it. That's the thing. It's like I was like, I guess we're gonna get another one of these. And then like this movie absolutely blew me away. And I was like, you know what? You know what I gotta do? I gotta go back. And I gotta rewatch Casino. I went back. I watched Casino. I say rewatch. I don't think I actually paid attention the first time I watched it. Because <laughs> it was just kind of like on TV. Yeah. Um, man, Casino. Great movie. I'm like, oh, it is. I guess I got to go back and rewatch all of them now. We jokingly said on our Michael Mann episode that you can't nowadays sell a movie based on like the idea of like, oh, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in a movie together. They fucking did it this year. Like, they this did it. They were like. De Niro, yeah. Pacino, and Pesci, and I'm like, well, I've seen the those guys. Not in the same movie together. I've seen two-thirds of that movie. Yeah, I've seen two-thirds of that movie like yeah. three times, I think. Yeah, this will be the third collaboration between Pesci and Scorsese, and it's like the eighth time between De Niro and Scorsese, but you gotta give it credit. This is the first Pacino-Scorsese movie, which is kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah, I mean, I watched Mean Streets last night. Boy, De Niro in that movie plays a real fucking scumbag. Oh, he's like the biggest scumbag in that movie. You're like, I dude, Harvey Keitel, shoot him in the head. Your life is going to get infinitely better. I 
was amazed at how much I was like, I've never seen De Niro be that type of guy before. <laughs> it's it's kind of like it's kind of one of his. I'll, oh my god, I gotta tell you this. Go back to De Niro because I'll say this: De Niro's had a weirdly good year. We're sitting there watching Joker last night, and Sam, who I don't know if you ever met Sam, she she looks over at me and she goes, "Hey, why is Robert De Niro in this movie, and why why are they making such a big deal of that?" And I said, Robert De Niro is the Joker character in the original version of this called The King of Comedy. And she's like, did they remake this? And I'm like, kind of. I said, this is like an homage to it. And she goes, oh, interesting. I go, yeah, yeah, it's really good. You should watch King of Comedy. And King of like, Comedy. Yeah. Good movie. Yeah. Like, and Robert De Niro is a dude who like always kind of is playing a scumbag, but you're usually kind of on his side. But man, in Mean Streets, he is the scummiest of scumbags. <sighs> I mean, he's playing a scumbag in Irishman, too. Oh, he's like, a piece of shit in the Irishman. The, the movie but makes like, no bones about this person being fucking terrible. I maintain your idea of how they did the CGI on his face is exactly right. Yeah. No, he's supposed to... It's him, him thinking of himself as John Wayne. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. God, I mean, you saw this. You, I still am mad that they haven't put this in theaters anywhere where I could go see it. It should have played wide. I don't know why they didn't do that, but... What was, um, what was the audience like? What? What was the audience like? How how did they react? It was that it's a it's a chore. That's three hours and forty minutes. I can only assume it's the type of feeling that people get when they're going to watch like a heavyweight boxing match that's been typed for a year, and you just got like this like buzz and like electricity in the room. Yeah, um, that's kind of how it felt. I mean, it's sort of how it felt when Once Upon a Time was playing, because it was just like, oh, fuck, we're about to do this. Like, this is about to happen. Like, we've been waiting for this for, like, a year. Yeah. And we get to see it on, like, on film. Fuck, that's crazy. Like, you know, there's, like, this, like, weird energy in the room. And, like, when yeah. it started playing, everybody it was, like, silent. You could hear a pin drop for, like, the entirety of the film, except for, like, when people were laughing, honest. Oh, yeah. And, like, he's, say what you will, Scorsese knows how to work an audience. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, it's so good. What is your favorite scene? That's a rough one. I love so many scenes, but I think specifically the one that I like the most. I love the, like, <laughs> when, uh, I guess, okay, my favorite, I guess, will be when Pesci and uh, Harvey Keitel are talking to De Niro, and they're just like, and he's like, oh, I should give him the money back. And he's like, don't worry about the money. And he's like, no, no, the horrible thing is to give money back. It's like, don't worry about the money. He won't need it. He won't um, need it. <laughs> yeah, Kaitel has just that great, like, like dead-on look. He goes, he won't need it. Don't worry about it. I was so tempted when you, I asked, what's your favorite scene? Just to put in the, so you'd have to hear it later. Frank, let's get out of here. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't. It breaks me every time I think about it. I hate that scene. <laughs> oh. um, or like when Hoffa, like Hoffa yelling at people, or when Hoffa's like... Like, I told my son, when they got a gun, you go in. When they got a knife, get away. I mean, you haven't even mentioned the scene I thought you were going to go to, which is the fish scene. Oh, yeah. They have, a, they have a long argument about fish. Yeah. Like, last night, we were watching Parasite, and I said, watch this scene about ramen. This is the entire movie right here. And they're like, how is this the movie? I said, I said, it's all about class systems. And, like, the fish scene is exactly that. It's the entire idea of that movie. Thing I love about this movie is how the the, the nameplates will pop up and it'll tell you how someone died, and it'll just be like the most brutal death imaginable. It's like shot like twenty seven times, hitting the head with a <laughs> in the head with a baseball bat, you know, like like the murders are so brutal. And then you just have that one guy who's like, 
It was Fat Tony. He was beloved by all. Died, died in his sleep. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a, <laughs> it, it is great. I will say, I think for me, my favorite scene, I think it's at Frank's whatever how many years of like getting it like or like it's like kind of like his like where they're honoring Frank for being like on the Teamsters or whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't need money, do you? It's not about money. Oh, if it's not about money, then I'm really having trouble understanding because I don't know what all the talk is about. It's my union. Is that hard to understand? Really? No, no. It's your union, that's right. It'll yeah. always be your union. You could step down and still run. No, you don't and... step down. No. What do you mean? Russ, you don't step down and run a union. You step down and go to your grave. Well, listen, I still think, I can't help but think, I'm sorry, but... Is there, is there another reason or something? I mean, this is my union. What do you mean another reason? This is my union. All right, let's start with that and then try to understand things. Listen, some, some people, not me, but some people, they're a little concerned. Some people, not me. They think that you might... I might. You might be demonstrating a failure to show appreciation. Showing appreciation. According to, you know, some people. I went to school for five fucking years. Yes, you did. Five fucking years. I didn't name one fucking name. You did the right thing. I did the right thing. You did the right thing. Sat there every day with that whining cocksucker from New Jersey talking to me about his woes, his problems. And all I wanted to do was finish my ice cream in peace. This cocksucker shows up at a meeting 15 minutes late, wearing fucking shorts. Mm-hmm. Who wears shorts to a meeting? Nobody. That's right. Nobody. I'm not showing appreciation. It's not me, according to some people. No, I know it's not you. Some people. Some people say I'm not showing appreciation. Well, then fuck them. I'm trying to help you, Jim. I know you. But nobody threatens often. And the scene between Jimmy Hoffa and uh, Russell Buffalino where they're going back and forth and that music, the time is now is playing. Mm-hmm. And just, and just, it's that, it's in that moment where I think Russell decides he's got to go. It, Cause it's, it's Russell trying to reel Jimmy in. Well, he says to him, he says, you can retire from the union. You can still run it. You'll just be retired. He goes, he goes, I don't retire. He goes, he goes, this is my fucking union. And, and, and Russell, and Russell is so tactful about it. He says, he says to him, like, he goes, some people, not me, think you're not showing the proper amount of respect. And Hoffa, Hoffa just says, fuck him. He goes, nobody fucks with Hoffa. And you're just like, oh, well, you're fucking wrong, dude. Like, that's kind of how Hoffa felt. Um, oh, yeah. I, oh, just, I think the fact that the movie ends with, like, Frank never, never getting, I, a lot of people have a problem with the ending. No, um, because you don't see Frank like actually punished for his crimes. Like you yes. don't see him like go yes. to jail or oh, anything dude. like that. But like yes. he is dude. punished so severely. His whole family dies uh, and he has to live alone in a decrepit building haunted by his ghosts, haunted by these stories. Can't talk to his only person that he loves in the world, which is Peggy. She won't talk to him. Yep. Um, her silence is 
like astounding towards the end of the movie. And he doesn't even have the like doesn't even have the resolve to take the blame for all of it. Like he realizes no, that he fucked no. everything up and he can't even let himself take the blame. He can't even he, absolve himself of it. Because the guy says he goes, Who are you protecting, Frank? The only person he's protecting is himself, and he's not even protecting himself from authority. He's protecting himself from his own mind. Mm-hmm. Like he can't admit that he did that thing because if he did, he has to own up to the fact that I fucking killed the one guy who I probably respected more in the whole world. And I did it for a guy who I equally respected, but for reasons that could have been worked out if we had just gone a different way. I will say I, the scene that upon rewatching three times now that really got to me at the very end where they're in prison and they're eating bread mm. If you watch, I'll tell you this, and this is what should win him Best Supporting Actor, Joe Pesci's moment where he looks at De Niro and he's kind of been like senile and he snaps out of it and he goes, fuck him, I chose us over him. And it it goes right back to the first time they're eating bread and dipping it in the wine together. Like, Russell's still there. Mm. And he never leaves. Like, I mean, Joe Pesci, the thing I read, I said, like, Joe Pesci has taken his character of Tommy and turned him down to like a four- but turn the menace up to like a 19. Like there's no reason you should be afraid of Russell's character, but every second of him, you're like, Oh, he's someone to be afraid of. Yeah. He, yeah. I and think, I, yeah. yeah, I I think that last shot is haunting. Um, yeah, oh, of him so just in the wheelchair, like inside the room mm-hmm. where he tells yeah. the priest to leave the door open. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say this too. When Russell is sitting at the big Frank commencement dinner and he's watching Al Pacino dance with Anna Paquin's character, that's mm-hmm. when he's going to kill him. He mm-hmm. fully, and he's talking to Tony Pro and he's talking to Fat Tony. You're like, that's it. He knows it's happening. Yeah, no, this movie's. So I don't good. give a fuck what people say. If you think this movie's too long, go fuck yourselves. I could have had another <laughs> half hour on this movie. I could have had another entire hour on this movie. This movie, yeah. this movie rules. <laughs> this, this should be the last gangster movie ever made. I think it's like kind of a, like, Martin Scorsese. I think a lot of the way he shot it was also to like deliberately like pull back from some of the other gangster movies. Like a lot of the violence is very boring and like not shot really flashy. There's not a whole lot of edits in it. It's just really just like bang, 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 bang. It's really upsetting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do you want to do you want to get to like the pairings? Yeah. What would you pair this with? I mean, you could name, you could throw dartboards at uh, Martin Scorsese's filmography and pair it. You could pair it with Goodfellas. Oh, you, you hit, you hit Kundun. Sorry, you they have Kundun. Oh, <laughs> oh no, you hit a, uh, you hit a, uh, <laughs> you hit the Rolling Stones one. Oh no, you <laughs> hit, you hit Rolling Thunder review, the Bob Dylan documentary from the same year. <laughs> the seven-hour Bob Dylan documentary. Oh, I'm sorry, you have to watch that. Ooh, yeah, but no, you're right. Mean Streets, Goodfellas, Casino. Uh, the Departed, any of these could pair with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gangs of New York, like Gangs of New York, all fit and they're all kind of about the same thing. But this movie definitely feels like it is kind of not like washing its hands of it, but being like, that's not exactly how it went. Yeah, it's it's way less flashy. I mean, like anytime he kills someone, it's it's pretty un uncinematic. Like it's just him just like emptying guns into people, almost like almost like shakily. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, upsetting. Yeah, it is. And who would you recommend this to? <sighs> Anybody who's ever seen a Martin Scorsese movie and wants to, or, no, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like being like, oh, anybody. But like, 
anybody who really can be open to this type of movie, I think, would greatly appreciate what it's trying to do. Yeah, I would too. I would say anyone who's just a fan of film in general. Anyone who's like, you know what? I really like movies. And you go, well, you know what? Watch one of the best ones of this year. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, you've got a minute and a half to um, continuously blow the Irishman. I think, you know, we did a 45-minute episode. Yeah? Uh, is that is that your minute and a half? Of just romance? put that whole thing here. <laughs> I'm not putting 45 more minutes on the Irishman. <laughs> I mean, you would say this: these people are dumb motherfuckers if they don't go see it. Yeah, I don't need a, I don't need a minute and 30. I have it's my number one movie. If you don't see it, you're dumb. You dumb motherfuckers. I'm going, I'm going, to, going jail. to jail. You realize that, don't you? <laughs> I mean, it's still it's still the the moment of that movie like it's also that's the scene of the movie for me it has to be where he's just chewing people Jimmy, out i'm not gonna let you call me a motherfucker it's like no no, no i was talking no, about no, you i was talking I about them they're the motherfuckers i'm talking about them they're the motherfuckers come back in here come um here. well then tyler before we get to our final segment from 10 to 1 what are your favorite movies of 2019 at 10 i have high life at nine, I have Her Smell. At eight, I have Pain and Glory. At seven, I have Atlantics. At six, I have Transit. At five, I have Dark Waters. At four, Knife, A Knife and Heart. At three, Uncut Gems. At two, Long Day's Journey into Night. And at number one, I have I Heard You Paint Houses. At number 10 for me, I have The Farewell. At number nine, I have Under the Silver Lake. At number eight, I have The Nightingale. At number seven, I have Us. At number six, I have Booksmart. At number five, I have Marriage Story. At number four, I have Little Women. At number three, I have Midsommar. At number two, I have The Irishman. And at number one, I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And... We are almost done. However, Tyler, we have awards to hand out. And what Tyler doesn't know is we have awards that I have put together and he is going to be choosing the winner of. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the 2019 and first ever The Talkies. Hooray for Hollywood! We like movies in Hollywood! Are you just doing the theme from Under the Sea? Fuck, was I? I kind of sounded like it. Oh, my bad. That's just us backstage being like, is that the Under the Sea theme? You're like, look, it's the only one we could afford. Okay, the Disney police are coming and they're going to whack me in the back of the head. Hi, um, are you on the uh, notes page? I am. So the first award is not actually one that is competing, and it's for best first feature, and it comes from each of our lists. So if Tyler picks everything from my list or everything from his list for the next awards, at least something got it from each of our lists. Uh-huh. Uh, first up, we have Atlantics by Maddie Diop, and from Olivia Wilde, we have Booksmart. I think those are both just excellent first features, plus everyone else I think in our list had made a second movie already. I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way this will, yeah, and the way this will go is I will read the nominations and then Tyler will pick the award and we'll go through these pretty quick. We should be out of here in the next 10 minutes or so. Our first category, best foreign language film. And remember, these are only movies that were in our top 10 of the year. And the nominees are Long Day's Journey Into Night, Knife Plus Heart, Transit, Atlantics, and Pain and Glory. These are all on my list. Oh, like I said, some sometimes there aren't enough on other people's list to make it an even split. I think I would be it would be wrong of me to not <laughs> hold, give hold on, that. Hold on. And the talkie goes to 
Talking goes to long day's journey into night because I think it'd be wrong for me to not give it to the one I have the highest, the have ranked the highest. <laughs> <laughs> You're like and transit. Yeah, yeah, fuck you. You heard me. Um, actually, pain and glory. And our next category is cinematography, and the nominees are Long Day's Journey into Night, Midsommar, Atlantics, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Uncut Gems. And the talkie goes to... I will give it to uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Aw, look at that. Not 1917. Not 1917. Uh, Supporting actor. The nominees are Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bill Camp for Dark Waters, Kevin Garnett for Uncut Gems, Joe Pesci for The Irishman, and Al Pacino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's right. Uh, I subverted expectations for that Al Pacino nomination. Yeah, you're really fucking with me. Um, I'm going to paste them so you can see them. Yeah, let me get, let me get a good look at that, those down there. And the talkie goes to... Uh, uh, no, none are wrong. This is your choice. None, none of them. Wrong. Um, this is hard. Uh, Bill Camp. Nah, I, I was pretty sure that's where you're going. That's why I picked him. Uh, Plus, I love Bill Camp. I think his performance is amazing. Uh, supporting actress. By the way, Oscars. This is how you do it. Just, just get him out there as quick as you can. Supporting actress. The nominees are Anna Paquin for The Irishman. Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Margot Robbie for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Zhao Zin Zhou for The Farewell. And Julia Fox for Uncut Gems. Oh, oh. oh you're making it really hard because I want to pick Julia Fox. If you want to let the, uh, her first one out of the gate win. I'm going to go with Dern. Okay. Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Accepting the award will be Ben and Tyler because we can't get in touch with any of these people. <laughs> we have just that stockpile of awards. Yeah, we're like, we keep reusing them. No one comes and picks them up. Lead actress. We have Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Florence Pugh for Midsummer, Elizabeth Moss for Her Smell, Vanessa Paradis for Knife and Heart, and Aquafina for The Farewell. Can I give it to Elizabeth Moss and have it be... not? I'm, well, I guess it's not lead for us... But it's kind of for both. Like, she just had a really good year for her smelling us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can give it to Elizabeth Moss. I'm going to pick some weird winners here. No, 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 you're picking... Interesting interesting our winners. There is nothing weird about any of these. And actually... No, 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 I know. I'm just saying, it's it's pretty... It's it's interesting. Wait till you get to actor. Um, Lead actor. The nominees are Robert De Niro for The Irishman, Andrew Garfield for Under the Silver Lake, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Mark Ruffalo for Dark Waters and Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. Oh my god. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Sandler. Hey, I, I ain't gonna fight you on it. I'm not gonna fight you on any of them, I mean you're I think Sandler is yeah, no, I'm gonna go with Sandler. And for best director, the nominees are Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. The Safdie Brothers for Uncut Gems. Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Gone By for A Long Day's Journey in Tonight. And Greta Gerwig for Little Women. Go uh, Scorsese, uh, The Irishman. Uh, 
mean, how do you how do you deny it? I can argue with that, yeah. <laughs> and for best picture, the nominees are Dark Waters, Booksmart, The Irishman, Knife and Heart, Little Women, Long Day's Journey into Night, Midsomar, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Uncut Gems, and Us. Uh, legitimately, all of those movies are great. Even, I mean... <laughs> you heard him say it. You heard him say they were all great. I can't he take it back. I can't take it back. Hey, fuck it. Even Midsummer, whatever. Who cares? I am done. Um, <laughs> um, but there's only one movie that's on two lists, uh, and that's The Irishman. So. Ah, oh, taking director and picture. Look at you go. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, for the big four, we have old Elizabeth Moss for her smell slash us. We have uh, Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. We have Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, and we have Picture for The Irishman. Those are your awards, guys, for the 2019 Talkies. Still think the 2019 Whiteys was not a terrible idea, but I can hear where it sounds bad. That's why I have someone slapping you in the hand with a ruler right now. (laughs) So, Tyler, obviously we're out of our best of 2019, and we're, we're heartily into 2020, and Next week, Tyler, we're we're back to doing a, a double feature, and I wanna I want you to take an actor and a director who've worked together not once but twice, and I I want you to pair them together. The oft mentioned by uh, by us and a couple of the movies that he's been an actor in, John Cassavetes, consistently cast his wife as a leading uh, character in his movies. So we'll be taking a look at a look at two of those, taking a look at a woman under the influence, starring uh, Peter Falk and Gina Rollins, his wife, and. Love Streams, uh, which stars Cassavetti and Gina Rollins as, uh, I think, uh, brother and sister. So, yeah, we'll take a look at two John Cassavetti's films. Fascinating. A guy who I have a huge blind spot on and I cannot wait to see. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. And, guys, thank you for listening to our Best of the Year Part 2. You can obviously follow all of our antics at TWGTFPod on Twitter. You can follow me at ET Critic for the Empty Theater Critic. Check out all my reviews. See what I'm watching. Some weird stuff recently. Tyler, is there any place they can find you? On the couch watching The Irishman yet again. Yeah. For the fourth time. And for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Frank Sheernan. And remember, guys, if you're sitting in the front row and they don't call your name for an award for the talkies... Don't don't try to get up there and accept something. I, I know, I know, you did your best, Brad Pitt, but let's be honest. I mean, like, Bill Camp is really good in that movie. Make your own goddamn awards. Two white girls talking about-